We got a lot to cover on this Wednesday morning. Some Colts chatter as they get ready for a pivotal divisional game at home with the Titans this Sunday. The Pacers are just a week out from their preseason opener. Uh, I think some interesting news on the Miles Turner front that we can get to. And, you know, really big ones this weekend for Indiana and Purdue. Road Big Ten slates, the non-conference portion of the schedule done for both of those teams. And uh, I think in different ways, big ones for IU and Purdue uh, at Nebraska and at Minnesota. Uh, Jake, do you have your headset? Yeah. Eventually. Oh, wait a minute. I've got the funky one here. The one that has no ear padding on it. But, yes, I do have headsets. Thank you. When I saw you walk in at light, usually you get here a hair before I do. Uh, When I saw you walk in after me, I thought, well, there goes the first five minutes of the show. Well, you know. First five minutes we spent logging onto the computer, finding the headset, you know, probably, I don't don't know. Maybe getting to turn the mic on. Yeah, turning the mic on. So yesterday I was downtown and I noticed that there is a new, all of a sudden, redirection on Capitol. Somewhere around like, I don't know, like near Methodist. Now you got to wrap around again. So I'm like, okay. I'm going to avoid Capitol this morning. Capitol, I don't know what they're doing. But every day, like the red line apparently is just gone because they're like stripping up the red line. I don't know. So I went down Meridian today, and then the normal little alley I cut across, there was a truck unloading. So it's been one of those mornings where I'm just like See, you locked door, go, locked door, locked door. You got to go a couple stoplights further. Meridian to Washington to Illinois. No, nah, but then you got to go around the circle, and it was all backed up. And I, I, The I'm circle's not, not backed up. I'm not going to deal with that. I don't like roundabouts. I was in Carmel yesterday. Enough roundabouts for me. No roundabouts, no statues. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, nonetheless, then I ended up in here and now finally found the headsets. But anyway, good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning, Mark Dykton. Good morning. Uh, we are now in peak fall season. It you is know, that, It man. is the extra layer in the morning, and you probably shed it at some point this afternoon. Again, the Colts get back to practice. Stephen Holder going to join us at... Eight o'clock. You guys have frost on your car this morning. Um, I did. I park in the garage. The garage is not very insulated. Um, but I didn't notice any frost on cars. Oh, I did. I was like, no, really, the frost. Sign. Yeah. I didn't have it. Thank goodness. But Thanks. it is. I mean, it's you know, forty degrees in the morning now, and it gets up to you know whatever sixty-five this afternoon as the month of October will be here this weekend. Uh, certainly thinking about everybody in the Florida, uh, really the entire state of Florida, but especially that Tampa region. Jake, when I think of hurricanes and tropical storms, I don't think of Tampa. Totally agree. And I was talking to my cousin about this who lives in Tampa and works for the state health department. So she's hunkered down inside one of the shelters um, working as one of the, the people helping people out. And I mean, I, I can tell, look, Val's lived in Florida her whole life. I could tell yesterday she was genuinely scared, probably is the right word, but uh, it's now a Category 4. Now, my understanding is they, they think it's going to hit landfall further south than Tampa now, right? I, yeah, I thought I heard a little south, a little east um, of where they maybe originally thought, which would be, you know, good is not the right word to use, but... Yeah, um, no matter what area. Although, I, it seems like to me, to your point, Kevin... And I, listen, folks, I don't want to by any stretch of the imagination pretend that I'm like either a meteorologist or an expert on things like hurricanes, but um, it does seem like Tampa, 
seemingly is less equipped for a hurricane than, say, like Miami would be? Is, right, yeah. Am I, I thought I read somewhere where it's been like a century since the last— 101 years, I think, yeah. Yeah, since the last hurricane there. Um, I don't know if anyone cares about sports-related activities in regards to Hurricane Ian, but we should mention— um, Bucks and Chiefs, as of now, still on for Sunday Night Football. That's really hard to believe, isn't it? I did see they canceled Bruce Arians' Ring of Honor induction right. for Sunday night. And I believe Tampa is heading to Miami today to practice at the Dolphins facility this week. And the logistics of that work, because Miami is getting on a plane today to come up and take on Cincinnati tomorrow night in Thursday Night Football. So the Dolphins and Jags... They both have road games. Tampa would be the home game. You are starting to see several college games impacted. I saw USF, which plays in the Buck Stadium, South Florida. They are now playing in Boca Raton, so the other side of the state. They're playing at Florida Atlantic. Um, they moved that game with East Carolina over there. And then I saw Florida, which if you look at the path of it, it is kind of Tampa into that Gainesville area. Florida has moved their game to Sunday. So they it just, it's it hard to believe that on Sunday, like let's say that it may, I mean, you're talking a category four here. I, could you imagine the New Orleans Saints playing a home game four days after Katrina landed? Well, I'm not saying not, this is yeah. Katrina, but I mean, a, a category four is pretty significant. Now, are you guys both ready to roll your eyes here at 7.06 on a Wednesday? I'm sure, I've certainly done it earlier. Let me tell you one thing that surprises me. I'm not saying people will take this as me being, you know, some lefty. That's not the case at all. I'm I'm almost saying this in the absurdity of the world we live in today in certain ways. Like if this were to actually, and obviously it's not going to, geographically speaking, but if another one of these hits in the Miami area, that has the level of devastation. Katrina was historically generational. I get that. But like Andrew or some of the other big hurricanes, if there's one that really does level another round of complete devastation to an area of South Florida, like, are you surprised that the football team still goes by hurricanes? Like, at some point, doesn't that become like a sensitive word to people there? Yeah, especially in 2022. That, that's I, I what I mean. Think, yeah. That, that, I mean, I'm not saying that they should do that. I'm saying in today's world where we've seen name changes for a lot less. Yeah, I would say in the 32 years on this earth of all the thoughts that have crossed my mind, I'm not sure if that's ever crossed my mind. <laughs> right. Um, this is what I'm here for. And the mascot it looks like a duck, right? It's a stork. Stork? The corn cob No, it's type. a crane. It's a crane. Because a crane. there, there yeah. is some sort of a significance... Is it there a significance towards the crane birds? They supposedly are like the one bird that ride out hurricanes and like are usually the first ones seen to like they get they take advantage of like fish and whatever else during hurricanes. I kid you not, there is like some significance to a crane bird or whatever that is. The ibis is what it's apparently. Is that what kind of bird it is? Known for bravery as a hurricane approaches. Yeah. Wow. Well, Educate and entertain. Seven oh seven. Speaking of the Put university, the and they smoke pipes. Yeah. Speaking they of the university, fearless. ripping a heater while that hurricane approaches. Of Miami, Stephen Holder, an alum of said university, is going to join us at eight o'clock. Tony East to talk some Pacers at eight thirty, and Dustin Depirac. Um, we'll get a little IU. 
football flavor today, some Purdue tomorrow. You know, when you look at the rest of IU's schedule, Jake, at Nebraska, I think falls in the category of if you don't get margin for error to get to six wins, becomes almost zero. Understood, yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. Like, at Nebraska is a game you need. Did and, you, and Did you ever think, Kevin, in your 32 years, two things that I'm going to guess you never thought about in your 32 years of existence. One is the changing of the name Hurricanes, and two is that Indiana would be in a you-can't-afford-to-lose-a-winnable-game-like-this-game at Nebraska right. in college football. I saw yesterday that Nebraska has is sold out for Saturday night. Can you imagine interim head coach, and you've got that place sold out to welcome the Indiana Kevin. Hoosiers to town. And I know you're. It is. What else are you going to do in Lincoln? This and time they a care year about ago, football season like none other. But that's just shocking to me. This time a year ago, Byron and I did our annual road trip, and we did it from Laramie, Wyoming, and we were driving back across. We stayed the night on Friday night. And I don't even remember the name of the town in far northwestern corner of Nebraska. So we spent the better part of Saturday morning and early afternoon driving across the entire state of Nebraska. Nebraska was hosting Michigan for like a six o'clock kick. The entire interstate, the entire way was nothing but cars with, I'm talking from 350 miles out. It was a caravan. It looked like the scene from the movie Hoosiers with the, the Hickory bus and everybody following it, of people driving to Lincoln to go see Nebraska and Michigan. Crazy. Just a different animal there. Um, so Indiana, I think a slight underdog last I saw for no that way. one. There's no way that they're not favored. At, Nebraska's terrible. Mark, will you check that? I thought I saw around three points for Indiana as an underdog at Nebraska. Um, I don't think Indiana's very good, Jake. You don't think so? No. The, well, he didn't think Cincinnati was very good, and they rolled them. Very fortunate to be three and one. Uh, I mean, if Florida or if Western Kentucky makes a kick, they lose that game. I talked uh, to somebody. Nebraska is now five and a half point favorites. I talked to somebody yesterday. Are we going to be idiots again and no take IU to cover? No. I talked to somebody yesterday who I'm not going to say would no. I mean. I talked to somebody yesterday that is pretty tied in with Indiana Athletics as an alum that said that they believe that Tom Allen's on a very short leash. And I don't know how – I didn't really dive into how concretely they were going with that as much as, like, just speculation, but they're like, no, nah, he's he's probably not the long-term guy. And I said, well, there's a lot of money. Take a lot of money to get rid of him. Get rid of him is the wrong word, but to, to make a change there. And he said, yeah, I know. I'm just telling you. He's probably not the long-term guy. Yeah, I. He's got the fourth highest buyout in college football. Right. I mean, part of me thinks like they would have to lose out for them to view it in such a awful light that they can him here in 2022. He's got a higher buyout than Ryan Day. <laughs> what? <laughs> that makes yeah. zero sense. That's Indiana for you. That's higher Indiana for you. Than Lincoln Riley. Indiana. Th- th- I'm telling you right now, if you are a coach. And you think there's a chance you got lightning in a bottle? Go to Indiana, man. You, you literally, you're the name insert name of sport here. You go to Indiana and you have one good year, and it's like, oh my goodness, we're gonna give. Do you want the Wabash River too? Because we'll give you that too. We cannot. Oh, holy cow, we can't lose them. Yeah, but did they give that to Kevin Wilson? Kevin Wilson was making decent money, wasn't he? 
this was more from don't you remember when they brought out Tom Crean at halftime of a football game with his arm raised like he just well, defeated I mean, Apollo Creed? Certainly and, different than basketball. You know, uh, Purdue at Minnesota uh, last night. Minnesota's good, there, man. I think ten point underdog, and the Aiden O'Connell injury obviously huge. Th- this one for Purdue falls in the category more of if that Big Ten West hope wants to be alive in late October, early November. This is where you got to steal one. The Penn State game was squandered, and I don't think anyone thought Minnesota would look as good as they've looked. And they have dominated teams. Now, they haven't really played anybody, but they went to East Lansing last week and absolutely blew Michigan State out. So, uh, the health of Aiden O'Connell, obviously huge for Purdue. That goes without saying, uh, but a big one for the Boilers this Saturday. I think that is an afternoon game. Uh, The wounded Tennessee Titans coming here, Jake. They are wounded, right? Kind of looking Here's another one. I did. I guess we probably knew this was going to be a big one this early, right? But uh, it's pretty big. Well, it's added to the importance in what you missed out on week one and week two. I would find it very I, – I think the winner of this division, boil it down to Indy, Jacksonville, Tennessee, I think the winner of this division will have four AFC South wins. So you play six AFC South games. I think the winner of the AFC South will get four of those six. If you look at the Colts right now, that means they have to run the table in the AFC South. That would be Tennessee here, Tennessee and Nashville coming up in a month. You get Jacksonville in your own building here in a few weeks, and then you close out the season with Houston at home as well. So three of your final four AFC South games are at home. Okay, allow me to ask this. We are three games into a 17-game slate, right? So you're talking under 20% of the season has been played. With that said, are you ready to say you're not this year at any point going to say or you are needing more time to percolate your answer? that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be here for the season. When you say here, do you mean just like in the AFC South mix? In the hunt, correct. Because frankly, all you got to do is have a pulse come December and have like six wins and you'll be in the hunt. I do, yeah. I I, I think Jacksonville will, will be in the mix. How bad are things for the Titans right now? They lost Taylor Lewan, their left tackle for the year. I think last week they have replaced him with the one and only LaRaven Clark. He's the woodworker, right? Third round pick of Ryan Grigson back a handful of years ago. Yes, he is a big, um, I think he built all the furniture in his apartment. Which is kind of cool. Very cool. My dad would love that. It is actually very cool if you are an NFL player that is a handyman with wood and you have a hobby of making furniture and whatnot. Uh, it is not very cool if you're an NFL player and virtually every story that's ever been done on you is simply about the fact that you are a woodworker. Yeah, two things on the LaRaven Clark mention. It's either that from the broadcast crew or it's the Kansas City Chiefs first discovered Patrick Mahomes when watching film of LaRaven Clark. <laughs> right. Texas Tech teammates. And that was the initial introduction. And they those got are kind of the peak of LaRaven Clark, right? 
That is. Uh, Derrick Henry has had a decent start to the year, nothing eye-popping. And I would say one thing you got to love if you're a Colts fan is even though the defensive coordinator has changed, Jake, you continue to stop the run at a very, very high level. The The best player on this football team through three weeks has been Grover Stewart. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. And he's been – I don't know. There, was, there were kind of signs of that a year ago, don't you think? Yes, I I would agree with that, but I think he's taking it to another level, Jacob. When we think of defensive tackles, we think of fat dudes that eat up space. Grover Stewart is a great athlete at 315-some pounds, and he is not just in there to eat up space. That dude sheds blocks and lives in the backfield. So when you see the matchup of Henry, you obviously think about your run defense. Tennessee's offensive line is really banged up. And I think Grover Stewart has the ability to just live in the backfield. By the way, to go back to this real quick, only because I just saw this. The latest model has the hurricane hitting basically right at Fort Myers, but the water surge, instead of the the 12 to 16-foot water surge, would go no further north than Sarasota, and Tampa-St. Pete would be a 3 to 4-foot water surge. Which that that in itself is, I mean, that's bad news, obviously, for further south. But for the infrastructure of what would be a real challenge in the Tampa-St. Pete area, that is probably good yeah, news. Especially from just how equipped are you to handle that. Um, like we talked about earlier, it's been... Tennessee's injuries, Kevin, are they such that... Uh, recap for me real quick. How many of these are like season-ending injuries, or are they simply going through a spell right now that they've kind of got to work through and then they'll be okay? Yeah, Harold Landry, Taylor Lewan, their best pass rusher and their left tackle, done for the year. We saw Tennessee overcome injuries last year, but man, it just seems like they are... When you look at like their roster and you look at what they've done this season, I don't see a ton of firepower. Let me read you a text that I just received that I I personally think is pretty on point. Jake, you can blame the offensive line all you want, but if you don't get better play from the quarterback position and stop protecting him by blaming it on everyone else, you're gonna make you're not gonna make it to week 17. You will not win the AFC South. You might as well get ready to draft a young athletic quarterback like the rest of the league is doing if you want to succeed. Thoughts? Well, that last point, I don't care if the Colts go 15 and two, they should still. Look for a, and I know they obviously can't. They still should look for a young quarterback like that. To me, is a non like that you've kicked the can down the road way too long. That's a must every off season. Uh, I said it yesterday, Jake. If this keeps up, Nick Foles will start multiple games for the Colts this season. And when I say the blame on the offensive line, we'll talk about this with Stephen Holder. To me, the biggest part of that blame is communication. Yeah, fair. So that's Matt Ryan. That's Ryan Kelly. You know, I think some of it, honestly, Jake, it's a little bit of Jonathan Taylor. I know one of the highlights, and I say highlight, it's probably a low light if you're a Colts fan. Remember the play on Sunday when that blitzer comes right up the A gap, right through the middle of the offensive line. Ryan Kelly helps out on Danny Pinter, and no one picks up, I believe it was Nick Bolton for the Chiefs, and he just smokes Ryan. Ryan Kelly is helping out Danny Pinter because Chris Jones is opposite Danny Pinter. I Clearly, the Colts had a game plan to try at times and help out Pinter. That makes total sense. To me, that is Jonathan Taylor missing that blitz pickup. That was one of the – we have had or seen 
running backs come through here that were outstanding at picking up blitzes, that that's one of those unheralded and never thanked, redundant, I realize, like skill sets. You know what I mean? Right. A running back that's really good at picking up blitzes and not afraid to do so. Yeah, the willingness. Correct. The willingness to do that. So I think it's a communication thing. Matt Ryan making sure everybody's on the same page. That, to me, is the biggest route. Sure, you have individual breakdowns. Uh, but that is the biggest one. Did you see Jim Irsay's tweet about Grover Stewart? I did not, actually. Um, no, no, about the food? Yeah, about the wings. Yes. Food truck, right? Oh, I didn't see food truck. I saw it's going to be available inside the building on Sunday. Oh, that's that's what it was. Uh, for those attending the game on Sunday, you want Grover Stewart's kitchen sink wings. How great is that? From Hard that, Knocks last year, that, of course. Does that mean that is that because is that a double entendre? Meaning that like he he they're prepared in the kitchen sink, but also because like he puts everything but the kitchen sink on them to prepare them. I would have to clarify with the owner, but I I think it's just the first yeah. part of what you were saying there. Uh, available outside of sections one eighteen and five ten, you've got some portable food stations on Sunday for. Grover Stewart and Ursay, I believe, referred to Chef Adam. Not familiar with Chef Adam, but (laughs) Chef Adam and Grover Stewart have collaborated on some kitchen sink wings. So I feel like after every Grover Stewart tackle, you just head out to section 118 or 510 and you just load up on the wing. Now, Chef Adam, let let me look this up. I I could be wrong in this, and that, that happened once. In 1979, once I was wrong about something. So it is possible that we are about to have this for a second time. But what is the name of the chef locally that puts together, like for Bullseye Event Group, they've got a chef out there. It's going to drive me nuts. That um, is like award-winning chef. It's got to be who it is, right? I don't know. Is this like a Chef Adam, more of a wing specialist? Well, when it comes to football, oh, Aaron, I'm sorry, Chef Aaron May, mm, close Bullseye Event Group. Chef Aaron May is superior to Chef Adam. Xavier Rhodes to the Bills? Is it Xavier or Xavier? I thought it was Xavier. I think it's Xavier. Now watch, does that mean that Xavier Rhodes is going to go there and suddenly become a great player again? I mean, he, he was, but he fell off a, a... I thought he had a really nice first year here in Indy. Unlike Vontae Davis. Where was Vontae Davis when he quit at halftime? I think it was Buffalo. Yeah. Didn't he just at halftime say, that's it, man, I'm done? Yeah. <laughs> a little different fashion than I think Antonio Brown did leaving the field, but yeah, that was Vontae Davis. I, this is something you see, Jake, though. These veterans that sit out, start the year, some injuries happen, Super Bowl, hungry teams, have a position of need. And boom, Xavier Rhodes reconnected with Leslie Frazier, who they had some history together in Minnesota. Um, so I'm curious to see how Rhodes does. And Rodrigo Blankenship working out with the Jaguars. And the Jags kicker is young, but he's kicked pretty well this year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That so was this was not thing. like a Tuesday tryout workout. Yeah, not an injury-related thing, I don't I don't think, at least. Now, the Chiefs are looking for a kicker, right? They should be. But well, is, they, is Bucker back? I don't know what his ankle injury is. They released him, the guy that was... They released Amendola. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. They said, here's the Megabus ticket. Enjoy the ride to Kansas City. Now, that Megabus, that the, the cost depends upon when you buy it, right? I've never done it, but some people that have done it, I, I think that is true. So, like, if you're the first guy to buy the ticket, you're it's a buck. 
Second guy's two bucks, third guy's three bucks, and that, that's how it originally. Really? Is that how I it no is? No idea. Is that how that That's works? how it was in the very beginning. That might have been a promotional thing. So I would think that this poor kicker, his ticket had to have been like 45, 50 bucks because it was the end of the week, right? He's in the very back. Do you think Kansas City just said, we'll take care of that? Or do you think they were like, hey, man, we'll take that out of your game check after that performance? Probably the latter, right? Uh, we'll get into some Pacers conversation today. Bob Kravitz wrote something yesterday, and basically, to summarize it, Bob would not be shocked if Miles Turner was traded by 8 a.m. this morning. I love Bob, but I, I will respectfully disagree with him on that. I, I was going to say, I feel like you've been a little bit more on the Turner can and might be a piece of the future. Bob is definitely on the other side of that. So I want to get into that conversation today. Stephen Holder, 8 o'clock. Tony East at 8.30. Dustin Depirak at 9. I guess quickly before we hit a break, Jake, anything stand out to you about the IndyCar schedule release yesterday? No, no big surprises. I mean, pretty much status quo, right? The, obviously, Detroit is a new circuit, so instead of Belle Isle, it's through the streets of Detroit. But other than that, uh, pretty much the same as this year. How do you get off week one of the NFL? Can't you end it on, like, the Saturday before? I'm thinking, what if you led into Notre Dame or followed Notre Dame on that Saturday in September? No disagreement. It's really hard to contend with the NFL. Yeah, that's my one gripe with the schedule. Uh, looks like a nice start to this Wednesday morning. Another cool fall morning. Um, I think temperature should rise into the 60s today. Kevin Vo and Jake Query, Mark Dykton right here. 93.5, 107.5, the fan. The Morning Checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. What are we at? Seven games now for Aaron Judge without a home run? I think it's seven in a row. Is he stuck on 60? Walked they, four they, times last night. Can we get to a point them. where you got to pitch to him? He, Selfishly? Listen, here's the thing that's peculiar about that. You know, he was walked, you're right, but Toronto's trying to you know, Toronto's trying to submit I themselves know, a playoff seed, right? Like I mean it'd be one thing if they went in and they're playing, you know, Miami, but or, you know, I'm trying to think of some the Reds. But I mean Toronto's you know, that listen, they're trying to get some stuff done here, right? Got five of the six divisions clinched right now in Major League Baseball. Mets and Braves tied in the NL East. Both those teams will be in the playoffs, just gotta decide. Who's going to win that division there? The wild card spots, Blue Jays, Rays, and Mariners in the AL, and then the NL, Braves or Mets, Padres, and Phillies. Uh, the Brewers are probably the closest team in either division now, pushing for a lot to ask this. What happens if Toronto gets into the play? It, don't you have to be vaccinated to enter the state of Canada? Or, I mean, the country of Canada? And aren't there? Yeah, a bunch that was of, an issue with the Royals when they went to right. They had like so like red, yeah, Red Sox, and they have a bunch of issues. Yeah. So are are there some teams that are going to be in the playoffs that might be limited? Yeah, I. If be they honest, have to go to Jake, I do not pay that close Toronto? attention to baseball to know that. Yeah, but I mean that's fair. That's dope. you are that's, a Reds fan. It makes sense. Okay. Nothing like the Cubs fan, <laughs> just with you know that that type of slander with that. Yeah, the red hot Cubs. Mm -hmm. Right. How hey. those Cardinals doing there, Mark? Oh, they're still at the top. Mr. Anti-Cub? Okay. Uh, college football. Anti-Cardinal, anti I mean. College football this weekend, again, Indiana 
Mark said it, five and a half point mm-hmm. underdog with Nebraska. That is a 7.30 kick on Saturday night. Purdue has got Minnesota on the road at noon. Minnesota's played four games this year. They've won by 38, 52, 42, and 27. Is that good? <laughs> is that good, he says. Listen. And then the Aiden O'Connell injury, obviously, is monumental for Purdue. Minnesota's rowing the boat, right? Wasn't that what they did at Western Michigan under P.J. Fleck? And now, you know, a lot of people started to whisper that maybe Minnesota made a bad hire, and here we go. I mean, this is where there are a lot of people that think that Minnesota is the front runner in the West, Big Ten West, right? We'll see what happens. Uh, Pacers yesterday, Kevin, getting things underway in terms of their first official practice. It was a short practice, about 90 minutes or so yesterday to get things underway. But then afterwards, Rick Carlisle was talking, Kevin, about his team, right? Yeah, and here was Carlisle yesterday emphasizing the area of the game last season that the Pacers struggled mightily in. It's going to start with basics, which is closing out and guarding the ball and trying as best we can to create a situation where we have as many guys as possible that can guard their man. You know, we want to be a team that can stay out of rotation. Rotation is something that you need when people get beat, and it is the NBA, and there are great players, so people are going to get beat. But we want to build great individual defensive habits. And and from there, you know, uh, we have a system when, when people get beat. By the way, uh, apparently somebody points out to me, thank you so much, uh, Canada is lifting their vaccination requirement for entry on September 30th. So it would not be an issue for the playoffs. Um, gotcha. In terms of the Pacers, Kevin, we'll get more into this uh, in just a little bit. But I'm I'm actually... You and I have talked about it. Are they going to win a lot of games? Probably not, but there is a level of optimism. Where probably intrigue is a better word, right? Yeah. Intrigue, curiosity. I think it's an exciting time. Um, I know wins and losses will not be at the forefront of how we look at this season, uh, but I will say this. Hammer the over on wins. There's no way they lose less than 25 games. No way. Say that one more time. They will hammer the over on wins 25 and a half yeah I, that's i would tend to agree with you you, you have to try re- although but the pacers are going to try in the sense of they've got young guys that are trying to establish themselves in the nba i don't see the pacers tanking with really really bad players like last year jake Kiefer sykes was getting 30 minutes a game at some nights that's not gonna happen this season yeah fair there is a guy that is going to be in this year's upcoming draft that may be the most highly sought-after, intrigued prospect since LeBron James. Webb and Yama? Am I saying that right? Sure. He's uh, well, French, right? He's like a 7-4 French guard. We'll get into the Pacers conversation again. Jake, a little bit more in the – thinks Miles Turner could be here long-term. Bob Kravitz not in that camp or – uh, bring you that discussion. And yesterday, it was not the starting lineup, according to Rick Carlisle, who got the best um, on the practice floor. It was the second unit. We'll explain who was a part of that second unit. And we'll continue the Colts conversation with a big one on Sunday with the Tennessee Titans. We'll do that coming up next here. Kevin Aquari, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Previously on Kevin Inquiry. <laughs> 
I would consider Tiger Woods my idol. I've never met Tiger. I've thought about meeting him. Did you like that? Yes. Yeah, I did too. That was awesome. And I've thought to myself, as soon as I say hello, I'll probably say, I'm sorry, my hands are so sweaty and I'm so nervous and I'm stuttering and I can't believe that I'm meeting you right now. Take it easy, champ. Why don't you stop talking for a while? John Tiger! I want to kiss you. Express some fandom? I was in the middle of the Jelani Woods interview, and we went on this like 30-second tangent about how you're like <laughs> fanboying over Tiger Woods. Yeah, it felt like it was... Uh, Jelani it... did not, not know how to respond to that. He's like, oh, I, okay. I thought he responded very well. Jelani actually agreed with Kevin, because Jelani apparently had the same fascination with Matt Ryan and was like, oh. yeah, I get it. It is kind of a wild story. Have Can I you told imagine? you... What's that? I mean, you know, you're growing up in the backyard and you're literally mimicking Matt Ryan and then here you are, not as a quarterback, but now you're catching a game-winning touchdown pass for Matt Ryan? It would be like, yeah, I guess it would be like me playing in the same backcourt with Jay Edwards or Reggie Miller as a pro. That would have been unique. I've told you the one athlete, Kevin, one, and I've been very fortunate in my career, I'm just old, I've been around a long time, to have crossed paths with, interviewed, or covered games of a lot of great athletes because I've covered a lot of, you know, different sports, but in different capacities. The one athlete that left me completely starstruck, the only, the only one where I was like, oh oh my gosh. Joey Chestnut. I'm seeing him in the flesh. How'd you know? No. Uh, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson is the one. Makes that was sense. my Tiger Woods because that was in my absolute zenith of sports fandom, impressionable age, and he was a mythical figure. And then I saw him in person and was like, holy cow. Um, by the way, good morning to you. It is a Wednesday. It is Kevin and Query. That's Kevin Bowen. I'm Jake Query. Mark Dykton here as well. Good-looking day. Start to the day. And yesterday, practice number one now in the books for the Pacers. This is not to say, Kevin, that I think – that Miles Turner is going to be a long-term player with the Indiana Pacers. However, I do believe, and and I, I may be proven completely wrong here, but my educated opinion on it, not to say that Bob Kravitz is uneducated. I love Bob Kravitz, and I think he's one of the most dialed-in people in this town. Um, educated guess is a better way of saying it my educated guess is that miles turner is on the roster up to the trade deadline and then all bets are off but i think he will start this season on the roster now and i think that the pacers are going in thinking that but i also think that if if someone were to come along and make a can't miss offer for miles turner the pacers would indeed make that move but if that were going to happen it would have happened by now now, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like in the last, I don't know, a couple of weeks that this conversation has been brought up, you have felt like a Turner-Pacers relationship could continue after this season. I would agree with that Do as well. Do you feel that? Yes. This is Bob Kravitz yesterday. This much we know to be true. Turner's days in Indiana are numbered which is both mildly sad and perfectly understandable. He needs once out, and Indiana's moving in a different direction. 
Everybody's on the same page. He'll be a free agent at season's end, and he's not staying in Indiana, his home for the past seven years. There's no black hat or white hat here, not like there was with Paul George or Victor Oladipo. Turner gave the Pacers seven good years, and at this point, headed into his eighth season, both sides have made it clear the relationship is not going to last. I think that Miles Turner will be on the roster when they start the season. I could be totally wrong in that. I I, I guess to be fair, Bob is not saying he'll be gone at the start of the season, but he has made it very clear that Miles Turner and the Pacers will not be together this time next year. Well, that's I, I can't disagree with that. If that is true, Jake, they're not going to be here next year, how do you handle Turner this season? Uh, Turner's been in this situation. He knows what's up. How do the Pacers handle it? I, I'm not talking about how does Turner – like, I mean, if you're the Pacers and this guy's not going to be here next year, you play him and – You showcase him. You're right? risking injury. He's injured himself with foot injuries each of the last two seasons. You play him. You're taking minutes away from an Isaiah Jackson – you know, Isaiah's probably the one young guy that I think a lot of people are intrigued by that fits a little bit more of that position. I think people are pretty much done on Goga. Um, Daniel Tice a little bit more in the veteran route. Um, but I think those would be the questions you have to ask yourself if you're going to play. I expect them to play him and treat him like a normal starter. But how do you not have those questions, though? I think the thing about Turner that puts you kind of in a in a rock and a hard place. You have young players, Kevin. The Pacers are, there is no doubt, and I know they're not going to use this terminology, but the Pacers, you know, the, the, to be honest with you, I'm not going to say the hardest, the most important. The most important ingredient for the Pacers to understand or buy into a refoundation, we'll say it that way. The most important person to get on board with that was Rick Carlisle. Because the roster, I mean, they can, they can't control what you're going to do. The front office decides what you're going to do. But you have a coach making, what, seven and a half, eight million dollars a year who's won an NBA title that came here, and you have to, to make sure that he understands, listen, this is not a situation where we're bringing you in to get us over the top. You you're you're just over 60 years old. Are you cool with being on the ground floor on this? And Carlisle was and is. And so, and I think the young players understand that. Turner is an interesting one because he's not a young player. Now, he is young. He's, what, 26. But in NBA years, he's not young. And so, how do you showcase what he can do if you are also trying to get Isaiah Jackson minutes, to get younger players minutes and to also put yourself in position for one more year of the lottery, which is exactly what they're going to do. It's exactly what they're going to do. Like, how much can Turner really improve his trade stock in the first three months of the season? I would tend to agree with that, and that's why I think the Pacers know, look, he's here, we got to make the most of it. I do think that there are some things he can bring. He's a mature guy, and I think a level – like, this is not – I just think that's an awkward balance. It, of, it is. You want – you know – you. You use the word showcase Turner. And obviously Turner helps you right now in trying to win games. But if you take Bob Kravitz's words and realize that both parties seem to fully acknowledge that a relationship is not going to last, 
past this season. That means Turner has to be traded by February. But if I'm thinking about the long term, and Isaiah Jackson is a guy long term, I want to play Isaiah Jackson a good amount. I don't want Miles Turner to get hurt. I want to make sure that you get you know proper value and, and trade for him. The last thing you want for the Pacers is Miles Miles Turner to suffer another injury like he has each of the last two seasons, and all of a sudden you get the trade deadline and he's lost significant trade value, or you get the free agency next year for some reason, and he's still here, and he doesn't want to re-sign, and now Miles Turner's walked. And that is a guy that you drafted, invested in for a half dozen years, and got zero on return for him. Those are my concerns with the Turner situation. All fair, for sure. Did you see his tweet yesterday? I did not. I was curious if this was in reference to Bob's article. Miles Turner fires up this on the Twittersphere. When the hate don't work, they start telling lies. Season. A couple pictures from Media Day around that. I think an eight ball is what he had uh, in the uh, tweet. Eight ball emoji. Uh, would that be his eighth? Is it his eighth year? That may be right. I right, Listen. Those were in quotes, by the way. When the hate don't work, they start telling lies. I like Miles Turner, but Miles Turner is a big fan of the cryptic tweets, is he not? He definitely is. Mark Mark quietly agrees. Yep. He doesn't tweet often, but cryptic tweets and Miles Turner, they go hand in hand. Uh, Pacers Steve, your thoughts on Miles Turner? I was so happy driving to work to hear you bring up rumors of him leaving. Uh, I don't understand where, where Turner fits in anywhere. He's not a Joel Embiid. The league is is moving to a heavy outside three-point shooter type game. I think the value of a guy in the paint that's a blocker, and that's his one-trick pony, is being a, a you know high on blocks. I, I think that those kind of guys are diminished. If, if you do not have Joel Embiid. He can stretch the floor, then, though, Steve. Well, his his three-point shooting is no better than 25 other tall forwards in the league. And this should be somebody that, uh, for his salary and his experience and his height and the position he plays, should be a 20-10 and player. He can't rebound. Taylor is a half a foot shorter than Turner and has more rebounds per minute when he's playing than Turner. And Taylor gets down in the paint. You watch Taylor when he's in the paint, and he bullies people out. Away, yeah, Taylor can play. Tur- Turner cannot cannot rebound. He is gangly. He's goofy running down the floor. He's got a weird run. He's he's not made for a high octane, high high speed offense. Uh, he he barely barely does better than the twenty and ten. This is somebody he's like a twelve and six player getting twenty million dollars a year. And and if you keep him, you've got to sign him to an even even bigger contract. Contract, and I totally agree exactly, exactly what's going to happen. If you hang on to him in his theoretical showcase and prop up his trade value, he is going to get an injury and be off the trade market. Uh, he's, he's very injury prone, which is a whole other reason not to be a fan of him. I think you get rid of him now. If you're building, if you're in a youth movement and you're in a teardown and you want to rebuild this team, Turner has no business on the floor getting minutes. You want Jackson and Smith getting minutes and people like that. Turner absolutely makes no 
sense in this lineup being in the final year of his contract. His premium trade value is now. If not now, there may be a little bit of logic in letting teams go through the next three weeks. Here's of the thing, though, Steve. And stuff, the, and then Steve, he, I hope somebody big gets hurt on another no, Steve, team. Steve, they're all, all really be, good points, okay? All really good points. I appreciate it. But Thank you for the passion, the, the, Excellent points. The, the one issue there is this, and that is, I'm telling you, if there were, if Miles Turner had the kind of trade value that could get the Pacers back assets that they could use, he would be, he would have been dealt by now. Part of the reason he, a large percent, I, listen, I, I asked directly, is Miles Turner on the roster? Is, is that does that say a little bit about the fact that there was not a market for Miles Turner that that got you return on investment if you were to to send him out? And the response was indirect, but I've done this a long time. And the response was he's on our our roster, and we reserve the right to say that he won't be forever. But for now, he's on our roster. Yeah, I think back to the trade deadline last year, Jake and Turner getting hurt. Was that all of a sudden? What led to DeMontis Sabonis trades being explored, therefore Sacramento Kings having some interest, therefore Tyrese Halliburton being here. It's just kind of wild to think back on that, how that Turner injury had a domino effect that could have led to Halliburton now being here. Right. Uh, you know, the the trade rumor that has been most often mentioned as of late with Turner is that Lakers trade for a 2027 first-round pick. Um doesn't sound like the Lakers want to add in the 2029 first-round pick. I want draft picks, but I also want assets that are going to help you out right now. Like, you have this young timetable, this young core. Could you move those draft picks, you know, and package them in other deals? Sure. But I want to make sure that I'm trying to help Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Mather, and Isaiah Jackson, Chris Duarte, whoever else you want to throw into that young core, Jalen Smith. I want to help them out now. So that one... I don't like. Um, yesterday, Rick Carlisle mentioned that the second unit of TJ McConnell, Benedict Matherin, Aaron Neesmith, Terry Taylor, Isaiah Jackson, he called them dominant on day one. So that second unit, I would assume, was playing against the starting group of Turner, Jalen Smith, Chris Duarte, Buddy Heald, and Tyrese Halliburton. I'm telling you, I like Terry Taylor. I, I don't know. I mean, he's a deep rotation guy, but I like what he brings to the table. I think they like what he brings to the table because he plays way bigger than he is. How did he not lead a mid-major team on some NCAA tournament run? That's a great question. Doesn't he just look like that guy? Totally. We'll get some Colts conversation next. Stephen Holder from ESPN.com joins us. I did not know this, so I'm filling you in. This from... Our Ben Davis High School Radio student correspondent, Owen Pulley, who is a proud member of, I believe, WBDG. I think he's the sports director there. That's the Ben Davis High School Radio Station. I've been a guest a time or two on there. I love it. You know, my dad is thick Ben Davis. That's right. And Owen, uh, super talented young guy. Someday probably will have the job that we currently hold. Uh, He said, guys, when the hate don't work, they start telling lies is from Ball Drop by French Montana. The song references the new year, and when the new year or the new season starts, he just cuts everyone off. There you go. Thank you for that 
So Owen younger hit view man. on that. I will just sneak this in before we get to Stephen Holder. Um, I love Steve's passion, the call we just had. I would push back on him acting like Turner doesn't have value in the NBA. If you protect the rim and you can stretch the floor at seven foot, you are going to have a role in the NBA, and teams are going to value you. That's that's true, but I think it is more select than probably other positions, right? We can debate how much value, right. and obviously rebounding is an issue for him, but there is interest in Miles Turner around the league. Uh, joining us now on the Payless Liquors guest line, as he does seemingly each and every week, last time it was to mention D.B. Cooper, which uh, took off like wildfire, and everybody now has been tweeting us D.B. Cooper stuff. Uh, Stephen Holder is with ESPN.com. He covers the NFL and notably the Indianapolis Colts. He is also a native of South Florida. So, Stephen, let's begin with this. I know that your family is in the Miami area. Fortunately, Miami uh, not necessarily right in the direct line for Hurricane Ian, which now apparently is a Category 4 and could uh, continue to increase by the time it makes landfall on the western side of Florida. But... Um, you know, you've been through this, I would assume, or your family has. What is the thought process for you as a Florida native when you see your home state, you know, in peril and preparing for something like this? Oh, yeah, I've been through it. I think it, it's very familiar, and you know it's going to come at some point. Um, you know, you have to prepare for just a, a wide range of outcomes. That's the That's the hard part, you know, because you know it's coming, but – I remember Hurricane Andrew, 1992. Um, I, I think I was maybe a sophomore in high school or something, and I, that storm initially was was heading about to the Dade County and Broward County line, right in that area. Well, I lived right there, <laughs> and so this thing, and that was a historic storm. This thing is bearing down on us, and then at the last minute, it bumps just a little bit to the south and it, and it hits south of, of the city of Miami. Uh, the, the devastation was still just, you know, catastrophic, right? But it, it didn't hit the, the primary um, area of, of population. So you, know, you can imagine what that would have been. The point is you, you just don't know. And, and you, have to, you have to basically prepare for, for that direct hit. You know? and, and so I did spend eight years in Tampa. And so the West Coast this is a little different for them, the West Coast of Tampa, or that, 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 that particular part of the West Coast, I should say. The Tampa Bay area in particular hasn't had a direct hit in, like, I think something like 60 or 70 years, which is crazy. And I worry about the Bay. If you've ever been to Tampa or St. Petersburg, you know that the waterfront is everything, right? And there's so much, there's so much just sort of centered on the waterfront uh, in the Bay, and that water pushing in from the Gulf. And so, anyway, I don't want to get into a meteoro- meteorological uh, report here, but it, there's a lot to worry about, and yeah, I, I got my fingers crossed for a lot of people that, that you know I have relationships with. So hoping for the best for them. Yeah, we took a family vacation to Anna Maria Island, which is out in yeah. that area um, last yeah. year, and I'm just picturing Beautiful that drive place. from the Tampa airport, Stephen. And oh my gosh, you talk about exposed and the water yep. right there. And like you said, that area of Florida is not necessarily used to it, like maybe some other parts. Are. So thinking about everybody down in your home state, uh, no easy transition here to the Colts, but we'll do that. The Colts and the Titans on Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, I would say the biggest Colts-related topic of the week is centered around the pass protection issues. Steven, you know, I, I think there's a lot that you can put at for some of the issues, individual play, the mishandling of stunts, the communication problems. 
I probably go to that last part, and that's where I think Colts fans have a little bit of like glass half full optimism. To me, the biggest problem with protection right now revolves communication. And I would like to think that Matt Ryan's 15 years of NFL experience, Ryan Kelly's seven years of NFL experience, they could get that figured out. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that the the unblocked rushers is just completely mystifying to me, right? You know, how is this happening with a veteran center who's been to the Pro Bowl, um, a, a quarterback who's been the MVP of the NFL? I mean, of all the concerns we had about Matt Ryan <laughs> – diagnosing blitzes certainly wasn't one of them, right? And and I think the thing that, that makes this a little more, uh, I guess, hard to stomach is the fact that a lot of these things have not been, you know, sort of brand new exotic blitzes. There have been blitzes that they, they knew were coming. Certainly they try to disguise them. Let's let's be clear. It's not as if the defenses are just telling you what they're going to do, but, but they should be able to pick this stuff up. So, I really can't put my finger on why it's not happening, but I agree. I think there is uh, justification for a, a glass half full approach here because these guys, I do trust them to figure it out. And and we've also never seen this from the Colts. You know, they have done a pretty good job of this in the past. It's not something they've struggled with. I, I do think having new members on that offensive line is we knew that there could be a downgrade in their performance, perhaps, but I don't think we appreciated the the change in continuity and synergy among that unit. Ryan Kelly keep, kept telling me in the, the locker room last couple of weeks, he said, you know, we're, we're not playing as one. We don't, All five guys are not playing as one yet. Why is that not happening yet? I don't know, but but I do agree that, they can get there, and if they do, that changes the game. Steven, when you look at the Colts and where they are right now, which of these statements do you think, you know, at Thanksgiving time we're going to look back on and realize to be more true? A, Kansas City was not near as dominant as we thought, and therefore the Colts defeating them kind of water fountains level there, or B, Jacksonville's a heck of a lot better than we thought, and the Colts getting embarrassed down there was then not as embarrassing in the long run. Mm-hmm. This is tricky. I, I I actually think that Kansas City, had they eliminated the mistakes on Sunday, Kansas City could have put 40 on the board. Now, I could have said the same thing about the Colts in week one. But Kansas City lost that game in much the same way as the Colts ended up with a tie in Houston, if that makes sense. You know, I, I thought they were much better than, than what they displayed. Uh, the Colts had like 500-plus like yards of offense in Houston, right? Uh, Kansas City had so many opportunities they just didn't capitalize on, and they just gave so many uh, or made so many mistakes that they, they enabled the Colts to win that game. So uh, I go back and forth on Jacksonville. I really like what they're doing, and, and I, I, I will answer a question here at some point. I'm rambling. But I I think with Jacksonville, we still need to see a little more, you know, because there there certainly were, well, beating the Colts is, is not big news anymore for them, right? And then going to, to L.A. and beating the Chargers, that was incredibly impressive. However, I do think the Chargers were not themselves, right, for a number of reasons. Certainly their quarterback was. Right. So let's let's see Jacksonville keep it up. Let's see them keep it up. I, I, 
I'm optimistic though that they're much better. So I so I think I still think that Kansas City is going to be is going to be pretty good. I still think it's going to be they're going to be pretty good, but it is going to be harder. They are they're having to win in a different way this year. So, but I lean toward the I lean toward the the, um, the you know Kansas City uh, being the team we think they are, or at least largely the team that we think they are. Yeah, I think we probably expect Kansas City to still win the AFC West, but if for some reason they don't, that could be a rematch at Lucas Oil Stadium if the Colts mm. win the AFC South. Uh, to open up the wild card round of the playoffs. Steven Holder from ESPN.com. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Steven, I know you and I and, and you know, some of our colleagues, we had a lot of Shaquille Leonard discussion, not only with Frank Reich, but just kind of amongst ourselves on Friday. Jake and I were talking yesterday about it. And I, I think from day one, it's been a very confusing injury situation. It's been complicated. I mean, Shaq said it in May. I think I'm done with surgeries, procedures, whatever you want to call it. A few weeks later, he's having back surgery. Um, I guess to summarize everything, do you feel like this is where you would put it right now? Shaquille Leonard is not comfortable playing at 80 or 90%. If you had to sum it all up, is that where we're at right now based off the four weeks of practice he's had in a row now and how he views himself on tape versus you know past years? Yeah, it, it sounds like he doesn't feel like himself, and, and I think that is – I think that's basically the same thing you're saying. And so the question then becomes, you know, how much how much further does he need to go to get to where he's comfortable? And 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 I, I do think the one thing that we we I think did learn is that a lot of this is being driven by by Shaq and how he feels and, and it's still a, a collaborative decision to to borrow the phrase from from Frank Reich, but it does seem as though they're they're listening uh, to Shaq in large part here, and and they said, look, he knows his body, and I also think that this is a this has been something he's been dealing with for so long, which goes to the point that you just made, that I actually don't blame him if if his approach is that look, I I don't feel like myself just yet, then it's hard to blame the guy for not going out there and saying I'm going to play anyway when he's been dealing with this issue for according to him like three plus years right there was some some sort of form of of lower body pain in some fashion right so i i get it and then so the next couple of weeks are interesting for the colts too because i think we can i think we can say without even having seen what happens this week we can say it's, it's probably going to be a close call again right and and if he doesn't play on sunday then i wonder what's the point of, of trying to make a go four days later in denver so there's a there's a two week window here where he can really get two weeks of work under him, get some rest as well, and and me be ready to go after that little ten day break after the Broncos. I don't know that that's how they're going to handle it, but I'm just saying if he doesn't play this week, that's probably where I would come down on it and and just try to get through. But boy, could they use him right now? There's no question. Uh, the defense is starting to come around, right? And and I think. You can those imagine. turnover numbers are a little quiet for their standard. That is the thing. That's the thing. Uh, this team averaged almost two turnovers per game last year. And so to only have a couple now, you know, through three games, that's not them. That is not them. And, and that is not that was not their formula last year. Steven, I'm not making light of this at all. I'm simply quoting from the past within the Colts and injury history and the owner. 
what percent of Shaquille Leonard not being out on the field at this point is between the years? Oh, some of it certainly is. What percent? Uh, hard to say. I, I, I think, I think it's it's a decent size percentage. And, and um, so, th- so that folks listening don't get it confused. That's not me yeah. or you saying that it's that he is that it's an intellectual or a like mental health issue as much as just right. psychologically feeling comfortable and and not being hesitant, right, about your body. Yeah. Yeah, and it stems from from something Jim Mercy has has said in the past, uh, specifically about Andrew Luck at one point when he was was going through some things, uh rehabbing that shoulder and and getting confidence back in it. And I I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think you you just said this, but I'll reinforce it. There's nothing wrong with that because I think it's it's absolutely true. One of the biggest things when you're coming off a major injury, you know, having surgery or whatever the cut, whatever the case might be, is regaining confidence in your body and in your ability to do what it is that you do. Uh, you know, what these guys do is is hard, okay. And and when you have to do it after after having you know sort of a uh, a, a major injury, you know, you're asking a lot in terms of a from a confidence standpoint you're asking a lot of them you know to go out there and and to overcome that so there's that's a process that is a process and and i think the thing you have to understand particularly when you're dealing with with nerve issues and and things of that nature is the the big thing that Shaq had to deal with here is regaining his strength in his lower body i mean if you talk to people who have who have had similar issues they feel they just don't have any strength you know, and that's one of the issues that he just had to overcome. Uh, that was a big part of the the late summer uh, process for Shaquille. And so now it's a matter of also getting his legs back and, and being the player he can be. I, I'm not surprised in retrospect, now that we know more about it, I'm not surprised that it's taken this long. And then when you factor in, as you just pointed out, the uh, the mental aspect of it, that it's understandable that this has been a long process. Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. He's with us here on Kevin and Query. Uh, Stephen, through three weeks, has there been a better cult than Grover Stewart? That guy, let me tell you. I mean, you talk about somebody who who can maybe ask for a contract renegotiation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> maybe yeah. it's him. Right. Kenny yeah, Moore needs to take a look something. at him and see and see how he's playing. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you something. You know, we we came into this year thinking this was going to be the year the pass rush really took off, and and we did see, I thought, a really impressive pass rush against Kansas City. But you know what's happened? The the rush defense, the run defense, I guess, uh, has been spectacular. I mean, I, there were some. I think if you look at it statistically, maybe it doesn't look amazing. But I think the eye test tells you, right? There have been a couple of long runs that have gotten out maybe the first couple of weeks, but they've shut it down. And and they have really been uh, in the backfield just consistently. And the guy who's there more than anybody is, is Grover Stewart. Uh, this is – and, and maybe this is one of those things where, you know, we talk about positional value, right? It, maybe the nose tackle isn't the most important position. And we, we hear this a lot with Quentin Nelson and – and and maybe even Jonathan Taylor, right? The, today, the, the running back is a little bit de-emphasized. I mean, whatever, right? Whether you agree with those takes or not, that's it, not the point. The, the point is, I think if you look across the board, nose tackle is probably not the highest priority on people's list. However, when you talk about disruption, 
on the early downs, what you do is you get exactly what the Colts need for this defense to work properly, which is third and long, second and long, third and long. And he's helping them create more of those. So in that respect, he has a lot of value, and I think it's a, it's a great development for the Colts. Grover Stewart played collegiately at Division II Albany State. I'd like to know between Mark Dykton, Kevin Bowen, Stephen Holder, which of you can tell me the mascot of Albany State University? Oh, the kitchen sink oh. wings. Okay. Mark, your guess? <laughs> it's not Pirates, is it? I don't know. Hey. It's not Pirates. East Carolina, uh, right, on that? The Frogs. Yeah, Let's go Frogs. The, the Frogs. Yeah, sure, why not? I remember when they drafted them, I was like, I have never heard of this school. It's in Albany, so I, Georgia. I know about it because my wife's family is from that area, but that's literally the only reason. And I think some of their family attended the school. Otherwise, I'd have no concept of that school. Golden Rams. Sure. The Golden Please Rams. So my question is, Stephen Grover Stewart, was it anticipated when he was drafted as a fourth rounder that he would be a golden defensive tackle? Or is this literally the definition of a guy that, you know, in other words – how is a guy like this who has turned out to be, I mean, you know, what you're talking about with him, from a Division II school, is this just late bloomer? Was there something in the past? And did the Colts envision that it would be this good for him the way it's all come together? Well, I'm glad you asked because I, I, I have done reporting on this in the past and, and gotten to know Grover Stewart a little bit, and but who, by the way, is delightful, okay? <laughs> Let me tell you, he is – he is. You get the yes, sir, no, sir. Like, yeah, you get that. He is. He is the southern, you know, the the, the t- prototypical uh, South Georgia guy. But anyway, he is definitely a late bloomer to some extent. But that's because he was always a project, to be honest. And I think with those guys, it can go either way. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. To Grover Stewart's credit, he put in the work to ensure that it worked out. And if you look at Grover Stewart today versus the guy who was drafted, if you look at him physically, he's a different guy. Now, he's still huge and can block out the sun, but but he is not the same guy. He's revamped his diet mm-hmm. and really done a lot of work there. Uh, I think he said he dropped like something like 25 pounds or something. Well, that's a lot, even for a big guy. And he worried that maybe he'd lose some of his power. And, and I don't think that... I don't think that turned out to be true. What what did turn out to be true, though, is that he discovered just another level of quickness and speed off the line, and that is really what these these offensive linemen are struggling to cope with right now. So I, I think the I think the ability was always there, uh, but I, I don't know that he always had the same tenacity, and he certainly didn't have uh, the 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 physical part of it that he had to develop that and so now you've got a really strong guy who has has reworked his body and now has just a, has limitless confidence because he's out there and he's done it and he's proven it and I mean you, he's just good luck to those interior linemen right now because he is just he's putting up highlight moves on these guys right now. And I think it was a good point you brought up, Stephen. You know, he signed that extension in 2020 and has ascended as a player since then. You don't I love often that. see that. And the other thing to note is I think he plays a position where guys hit their prime kind of late 20s. I think interior defensive linemen, it, it is kind of at this age that Grover's starting to enter where he hits his prime. And I noticed, you know, in camp, Gus Bradley, someone asked him, you know, has anybody surprised you? And he mentioned Grover. 
You know, and I think when you think about defensive tackles, you think of space eaters. You don't think of super productive in the backfield making, you know, tackles for loss. And, you know, usually guys behind them are cleaning those things up. But Grover's doing that. Uh, last thing I want to get to before we let you go, Stephen, um, I think a big credit to Gus Bradley for what he did in the secondary on Sunday. You know, Nick Cross is a guy that they handed the starting strong safety job to. And I think they looked at it after a couple weeks and said, all right, with Kansas City, we can't have kind of a boomer bust guy playing safety for us. We need a little bit more of a reliable guy, maybe a little bit more of a veteran presence. Rodney McLeod inserted into the starting lineup. They trust Rodney Thomas, a rookie out of Yale. I mean, they made several secondary changes against Patrick Mahomes, and by all accounts, they all paid off. Yeah, and I would add to that something that that a couple guys talked about, including Stephon Gilmore, which is that they tightened up the coverage, and and I think you saw the results of that. I mean, they, they made the windows tighter. They got hands on footballs the other day, and that's not something we've been seeing. So I, I think it's a great sign. One of the questions about Gus Bradley and his scheme just generally has been, has he kept up with the times? You know, this is not, he doesn't have the Legion of Boom, and we're not in 2013 anymore, right? The, the times have changed in the NFL. That That's almost 10 years ago now, right? So, so he, The question was always, you know, would he be adaptable? And I think this is a great example of him doing just that. And it's great to see because I I always wondered, it's funny, with Nick Cross, as much as I I understand the excitement and I I believe in his upside, I really do. I, I know what they see in him. I will say I was a little surprised that from day one, they penciled him as in as a starter and they were just ready to roll with that. And you just almost never see that with rookies, particularly not a third round pick, maybe a, a first round pick. You do see that, but a third rounder, I was always surprised that he was this unquestioned starter, not because of ability, but just because is he ready? And particularly, as you said, against a guy like Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reed, who is just, you know, the master of disguise and fooling you, I, I think that was a great decision by the Colts to to maybe ease up on that and and maybe go another direction. You know, with the Rodney Thomas decision, you know, there, I, I just think that Nick Cross is a better fit at strong safety, and so they didn't want to, I think, shoehorn him in at free safety uh, when that's not the position he's worked at either, for the most part, in practice. So uh, it all makes sense in retrospect, and uh, I respect their adaptability. Good stuff. Steven, now that we've gotten everybody versed up on the D.B. Cooper documentaries, uh, are you watching the Dahmer thing on Netflix? You know, my wife started watching it and was trying to get me to watch it, and I don't know, I was on the fence, so I I guess i got to do it on my own because she left me behind. Gosh, are you um, worried at all that she's the one that suggested that? (laughs) Not to to interfere with your relationship. I I had mixed feelings about it. I'm not going to lie. I was like, you know, I was like, uh, you go to bed anytime soon or you can watch this thing all night. (laughs) You're a little too into it. I I was a little concerned, man. I don't know. Steven's asleep with his eyes open tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Eyes wide shut at the horror house. You know? It's pretty good, man. I will tell you this. It's pretty good. You know, we're I, only I'm on. I'm going to have to cave and check it out because, yeah, she's in, invariably going to talk me to death about it. So I'm going to have to know what she's talking about, right? We're, well, I, death I being a keyword there. Okay. Uh, we're only on episode three. So if you want to come by and get caught up to speed, Stephen, you're more than welcome. We'll we'll make extra pork chops for you. <laughs> okay. Appreciate it. All right. Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. No, Thanks, Stephen. Dolmer watch party tonight. <laughs> come on over. Jake and you Shannon. Know, I, I don't know if you know this or not, Kevin. 
this one for Mr. Gilmore. When you're dividing up pork chops. <laughs> when I was in Milwaukee, um, I've, I've, well, I've been to a lot of the sites of the Jeffrey Dahmer, I, like his building. His building's no longer there. Um, I've been to Lacage, which was the, the club where he met many of his acquaintances that's actually portrayed in the show. Did you see the very beginning when it shows him going in the bar? Yeah. They did a good job of reenacting what Lacage looks like, I will say that. Um, pretty fascinating stuff. I've talked to his public defender before. Pretty fascinating stuff. The show so far, from what I've seen, is is pretty on par with everything that I had heard about it. I honestly could see my wife wanting to watch that. You know, the thing... It, I, it, now, again, it's not a documentary, right? No, it is a reenactment. Right. Or just a, I was in Milwaukee like two... Well, Two or three years ago, we go every year at Christmas time, Shannon and I do, and we were in Milwaukee and I went into a bar and they had a local beer that was named after Dahmer and the bottle of the beer has like his mugshot on it. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I get it. Except Anything for else that- on tap? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And in addition to that, I'm like, you know, listen, and I'm a weird fascination guy of weird fascinations, right? But I'm like this. This was only 30 years ago. Like he has his victims have family and friends sure. that still live in the area. Like that's it's a bit not, much for me. It's not like from 140 years ago. You know what I mean? So it that seemed to me to be uh, a little off. A uh, little Tony off. East gonna chat Pacers with us here in about five minutes. Let's do a morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Okay, Jerry, we saw your tweet. The rest of you that are Cardinals fans, congratulations. St. Louis Cardinals are NL Central champions there in the postseason for the fourth straight year after yesterday. Defeating the Milwaukee Brewers in the 40-year anniversary of that 82 World Series between the Brew Crew and the Cardinals. Cardinals win 6-2 yesterday. Elsewhere in Major League Baseball, Pirates over the Reds 4-1. It was the Cubs doubling up Philly 2-1. Aaron Judge is still sitting on number 60 as he did not home run yesterday, homer yesterday, but there were plenty of walks for him. Yankees over the Blue Jays nonetheless 5-2. Red Sox over Cute Fella 13-9. Indianapolis Indians 7-1 losers to Columbus. Colts back to practice today outside of Shaquille Leonard. The Julian Blackman ankle watch would probably be the other injury to note. Uh, Certainly coming out of Sunday, and if you missed it, we had Jelani Woods on the show yesterday. That is up on our podcast. What Jelani Woods and Alec Pierce did late in that game, if you can build off that, that is massive for the Colts moving forward. Here was offense coordinator Marcus Brady on the two rookies yesterday. Um, yeah, so I mean, part of it could be a defining moment for those guys. Uh, you know, a lot of it, building confidence is just having success. Um, and so when they go out there and then have that success, then it just, you know, it, it bleeds confidence in themselves and, and it kind of springs them forward. Um, so we're hoping we get that both out of our, you know, our two young guys and Jelani and Alec who, you know, made some big plays in the game. And, um, you know, hopefully we get some more production out of that. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to that. It'll definitely help our offense. Jake, um, Frank Reich won the first three meetings against Mike Vrabel. Vrabel's won four of the last five. The Colts are three-and-a-half-point favorites for Sunday. Uh, the game is on Fox. You don't typically see that, the CBS or uh, two AFC teams on Fox. Yeah, that's odd, right? Uh, Adam Amin and Mark Schlereth will be on the call for that. And, and your approval or disapproval of the I, broadcast I team? 
I don't know. I mean, I've certainly heard Schlereth and even Amin do games. Amin's a little bit on the younger broadcasting side. Um, I, I don't have a strong opinion. I don't know that might shock some people, but I don't have a Spiro type opinion with this crew. Who is what? Do you, do, I, by the way, do, I think people find Romo very polarizing. I think Tony Romo in the beginning was Tony Romo was like not my father's root beer. Do you remember when Not My Father's Root Beer came out? And everyone and their brothers like, this stuff is unbelievable. I've never tasted anything like it. It's impossible to find. I've got to go on eBay and buy it. Did you hear? They've got there's a grocery store in Saginaw, Michigan that has two extra cases. Let's drive up. And then after like three weeks of it, people were like, Oh my gosh, it tastes like syrup. It's way too sweet. And that was the end of it. And Romo, the first game that he did. This guy's unbelievable. He's predicting plays before it even happens. He's he he knows more than anybody's ever known about the football ever. And after three weeks, it was oh my gosh, he won't shut up. Just let the play happen. Jim, that's what he always says. He's always Jim. So I always hear him say. Yeah, the emphasis that Jim Mercer has on Gilmore, he has yeah. that with Jim uh, yeah. on Gilmore. No. What emphasis do we have? Does Jim Mercer have on Gilmore? <laughs> this one from Mister Gilmore. <laughs> People keep asking me, by the way, hey, is there video that, yes, that is off of yeah. Jim Mercer's Twitter account. And bug, oh, his, yeah. bug his house. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> gold on Jim Mercer's Twitter account. You just got to make sure you're following the big man. All right, speaking of big man, Miles Turner, the latest on him. Tony East is going to join us next. Pacers' first training camp practice yesterday. It sounds like the second unit had a pretty good day. We'll chat with Tony about that coming up here on 93.5107.5, The Fan. And five, the fan. It is 26 minutes before the hour of nine o'clock. This is Kevin and Quora, 93.5107.5, the fan. Day two of the Pacers season, somewhat speaking, from a practice standpoint. Yesterday was practice number one, somewhat of an abbreviated practice. I think some of the roster was surprised by uh, the the quick nature of practice yesterday, although I'm sure they weren't complaining about it. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors guest line, to talk about the Pacers and more is Tony East, who joins us periodically to talk about the blow and gold. Tony, how are you? Doing well. Uh, it was it was interesting that it was shorter that they you know moved out to do film after their practice, but such is life of a new era of Pacers basketball. Tony, I wanted to start with a comment Rick Carlisle made on Media Day, and part of me is like, "Up, oh, that's coach speak." But then I thought to like writing out playing time and lineups and bench unit and all of it. I'm like, you know what? He might be onto something here. Um, Carlisle used the phrase 10 man rotation at a minimum. Do you believe that? I do mostly because of what you said. When you write down all the guys that they almost have to play for some reason or another, whether it's a young player they're trying to develop or someone that they've promised a starting spot at a certain position or someone new they got, they need to explore their talents. They almost have to play at least 10 and even 10 leaves out someone like Terry Taylor or O'Shea Brissett, depending on who they decide to play or something like that. So that's why 10 at a minimum is actually true in the case of this younger team that will be experimenting a lot this year with various lineups, something Rick Carlisle likes to do in general. They'll be trying to figure out who fits with who. They'll be trying to maximize Benedict Matherin and Tyrese Halbert and a bunch of other guys in the mix. So I totally believe that given the priorities they're going to have with this new team, they will try to play 10 guys every game, which sometimes might even, he even said this, which surprised me. Sometimes that might even keep Tyrese Halbert's minutes down a little lower than you'd expect. But if that is what it takes to get the guys out there that they want every game, they're going to do it. 
and obviously you're going to have injuries, but just to kind of play this out here, Carlisle mentioned yesterday the second unit uh, was dominant, and that was T.J. McConnell, Benedict Matherin, Aaron Neesmith, Terry Taylor, and Isaiah Jackson. Their starters, Miles Turner, Jalen Smith, Chris Duarte, Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton. Tony, with those 10 names, we haven't mentioned Andrew Nemhard, Daniel Tice, Gogo Batadze, and O'Shea Brissett. Yeah, that's, uh, the, the, the third unit they even had running was impressive. Like, James Johnson was running with that crew yesterday, too. Like, he was in the rotation for a team that made the playoffs last year, and, you know, he shouldn't play for the Pacers given that they're leaning in on youth and a long-term project. But just the nature of their team and the guys they have, like, someone decent to or at least young and interesting is probably not going to play in some games. And I think it might depend game by game. You know, last year, if you'll remember, O'Shea Brissett didn't start in the rotation either. They went with Torrey Craig and Justin Holiday, and it took a few games to really switch that around and have O'Shea become an everyday player. So I think there could be some tweaking and variation with those groups in the rotation as the season goes on, as their record progresses, as maybe trades or injuries pop up because kind of how Carlisle rolls and sort of what's going to be necessary for a team with so many guys kind of worthy of sort of exploring their potential and playing. Uh, Tony, really dumb question here. I was at the the tail end of practice yesterday during the media availability. I did not see Daniel Tice. Is he here yet? Do you know? I, I thought maybe he was participating in something else um, that delayed him getting here by a bit. Am I off? He he got here recently. He was doing his um, medical testing, and he's sick. So it's not COVID. They confirmed he had to get more negative tests before he could return to practice. So he might start on Wednesday if that testing was negative yesterday and this morning and if, if not then maybe we'll see him in a future day but he is in indy uh he's just not practicing yet gotcha uh and nimhart is a guy from what i can tell tony um and the rookie from gonzaga for those that don't correct know. who was the second round draft pick and starts out as the number three point guard but boy i'll tell you what i mean very early but it seems as though the pacers brass are really excited about the possibility of kind of getting a steal there and a guy that they think might get minutes in some rotation spots this year. Do you get that same impression? Yeah, they were talking about, you know, that, that, that that's a tough one. The first pick of the second round, you got to wait out a lot of picks to get the guy. And if you want someone like Andrew Nembard, they had to, to wait it out. And he is an interesting fit on this team. He fits kind of the MO that it looks like Carlisle is chasing with their point guards, which is guys who are good passers and good at moving the ball to someone else in the right way in traffic. He showed that in summer league, which it's summer league, but showing off of a skill that people think you're going to be good at is still important. And it'll be fascinating to see if they can get him minutes this year, because it's an interesting kind of gap in perception. He was the first pick of the second round. So you call him the second round pick, but if you get picked one pick earlier, right? One slot earlier, you're a first round pick. And on a developing team, you always talked about, Oh, you got to get your first round picks minutes, right? So the perception of one pick kind of changes how much people feel like he should and needs to play. But, yeah, being the 31st pick is still just right outside that first-round range, and they clearly like the way he can pass and, and run the second unit. I'll be interested to see if they can get him on the floor this year because the other part of media day that was interesting is, and Kevin Pritchard talked about this in his press conference last week, T.J. McConnell fits the way they're trying to play pretty well, and he's kind of an important vet to this team as sort of taking on a leadership role. You know, he, he'll presumably play every game, so it's going to be hard to find Andrew Nembard minutes at point guard where he can really have the ball and, and push the pace, but it seems like, you know, that they like him and would like to get him out there somehow. So they'll have to get creative in that way too. They have a lot of rotation decisions that will be tough this year. Tony, I, 
we talked a lot about Miles Turner and his future here earlier in the show. I, I know that's a subject we've probably talked annually about, so I, let's not focus on it here. Let's concentrate more on his fit with Tyrese Halliburton. We, we didn't see them on the floor last year. We didn't see Turner on the floor with you know Buddy Heald either. Um, now is a solo big, now playing with a pass-first point guard. What do you think can be tapped into with a healthy Turner? Yeah, I think that the, the pass-first part is key there because – it's weird to go back so far for this, but two of Turner's better seasons statistically and shooting the ball were the first two seasons uh, of the Victor Oladipo era, 2017-18 and 18-19. And Darren Collison was the point guard then. I don't think Darren Collison was a brilliant setup pass or anything like that, but he was, in Turner's time with the Pacers, the best point guard the Pacers have had at getting him the ball in the pick and pop. And that gave him you know, the best chances to shoot from deep and to, to get shots from the spots that he likes. And so... Uh, I think that that is where Tyrese Halliburton's abilities as a passer and a setup man and his his really good skill reading the game will really shine. If he can get Turner the ball, similar to how Darren Collison did, just dumping it backwards on pick and pops and using him well in the pick and roll, it seems like they're going to have Turner set some more screens this year. You know, Carlisle last year even was talking about using Turner as a lob threat, which never materialized. But, you know, I think that they, they should, in theory, fit pretty well together in that way, just as – a guy who can either roll or pop, and, and Tyrese is very good at reading the game depending on which one he does. So it seems like Turner should get the ball in his spot at, at the right time with a good pass, but you know, they'll have to explore what that fit actually looks like. You know, Turner definitely better at popping than rolling, but you can't do the same thing over and over again and expect success. So I think they, they on paper, fit well together. Floor spacers are always valuable. It seems like Turner will be a little more involved this year, especially after his comments last December. But the question is, you know, he's, he's playing with three starters who he's never played with before. How can he find his spots, and can those guys set him up for success? Tony East is our guest on the Payless Sugars guest line. You can read his work about the Pacers at Forbes and then Locked On Sports. Tony, not named Tyrese Halliburton, I want you to tell me the player on this Pacers roster that would have the most market value universally across the board in the rest of the NBA. Uh, it's got to be Benedict Matherin, right? Just because he was. Just well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> How I, I dare you forget about him, Jake? That's right. Well, okay. Let's say let's say of players that have played games for the Pacers before. I probably should have sure. prefaced that. Sure. Uh, I, you know, I think Chris Duarte would have some value around the league as an all rookie guy last year, and he's tricky to kind of pin down from a value perspective because he was good last year. Obviously, he projects to be a guy who can really shoot it with his skill set. Is still adding to his game, but he's hard to 25, right? So how do you, how do teams marry that up in their head? How do they kind of decide what's more important, the amount of time he's been in the NBA or his skill set will be interesting going forward. But he's a good fit with Halliburton as a shooter and a guy who can make a, make a shot off of a few dribble moves. That seems like the perfect kind of secondary creator type that you would want. And it sounds like, you know, based off what we heard in, in the, the lineups in yesterday's practice, he was in the starting group in day one. We'll see what how fluid those lineups are, as Carlisle does like to tinker a little bit. But yeah, it, you know, it seems like he would be the most valuable guy given his his age and expertise and what he's good at. But there's a, you know, Buddy Heald obviously has been in trade chatter all summer. If he can be the guy he was for the Pacers last year, more so than the guy he was for the Kings, it seems like that value will continue to go up if he can actually pass and rebound in a way that nobody really thought he could. So it seems like those two guys will lead the pack. Isaiah Jackson, obviously very interesting, but... Uh, at this stage, you know, a guy who just made All-Rookie last year and a veteran who can really shoot it would be the leaders in the clubhouse. You know, I get the feeling, Tony, Duarte to me is interesting because I, I look at Chris Duarte and I think to myself, he, he's a Doug Christie-type player. He's, a you know, one of those, like, kind of versatile sixth men type guys. 
if Chris Duarte is is your fifth or sixth guy, you're a really good mid fifties win team. If Chris Duarte is one of your is your second or third option, you're twenty five and fifty seven. You agree with that? That makes some sense to me, and I, I think the th- thing about Duarte that's interesting is I've kind of watched him through the years is he projects more to be an elite shooter and not as good off the dribble guy to me than the other way around, which sort of break you know, Doug, Doug Christie was still a good shooter, but sort of breaks the Christie mold to an extent to me. But I still think even that kind of player is valuable as a sixth man to come in and sort of change the way a defense has to guard a team. So, yeah, I agree with you on that to an extent. I think that if he can become a really good defender, that would sort of change his perspectives and outlook that would make him a guy that you could use in your starting box to shut down other wings but in general you know if he adds to his game in a way where he can beat someone off the dribble and get to the rim or something like that it would make a lot of sense that he would be that six-man type that really ignites the second unit more so than you know a guy who's trying to, to break defenses with the starters I need to youtube that doug christie kobe bryant fight that was that was <laughs> it's pretty entertaining if i remember correctly uh tony last one from me um the Pacers are done with Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis as a pairing. Uh, Jalen Smith is a guy that I think there are some questions on can he be like a true four in the modern NBA. I know talking to, Ch- in talking to Chad Buchanan last week, the Pacers love what Jalen Smith has done this offseason. Um, how do you kind of compare and contrast Turner and Sabonis on the floor together to now Turner and Jalen Smith? Yeah, everybody was using Turbonis last year. We'll have to come up with new phrasing for Turner and Smith, but it's not as easy to to merge those names together. You know, the, the offensive fit is fascinating because, you know, I, I think that they can both shoot it a little bit better than Sabonis could, at least if Smith can keep up the numbers he had from deep last year with the Pacers, and it sounds like they're high on the growth he's made this summer. Uh, and he's a little more mobile than Sabonis, not, and not that Sabonis didn't work on that during his time with the Pacers, but in general, I think that they can do a little more in terms of being on the perimeter and moving around more than they could, you know, where Sabonis would, you know, always start on the right side and try to do his, his handoffs and his sets from that direction. And I think they can be a little more versatile and mobile with their current group. But obviously neither of them have the post skills Sabonis had, so it'll be harder to play inside out. And on defense, we're already back to hearing what we heard before, where the question for Jalen Smith will be, can he be more mobile and defend out on the perimeter. He was talking about that at media day. Rick Carlisle mentioned it on media day. And if he can, it's going to be a clunky fit at times, right? Fours are just going to, going to feast on this Pacers team. They can't put Turner on them because then he's not around the basket. So uh, I think they can fit well because they're both mobile-ish big men. But the defensive fit, like it was with the old two-center pairing, might be awkward at times. And that's sort of the, the pitfalls of, of a younger team that you have guys who you need to play playing a little out of position. At T East NBA on Twitter and Tony with the preseason opening up uh, next Wednesday and the regular season opening up two more Wednesdays from that. Uh, I want to give an opportunity for you to plug kind of where your content is at. I think it's outstanding content. I always enjoy our conversations, but for fans that maybe have not come across your content, where can we find a little bit of everything? All over the place. Yeah. If you for Pacers content, daily podcast called Locked On Pacers, uh, broken down the first practice for today, stuff from media day around the league, like Malcolm Brogdon saying the Pacers let him choose his destination in a trade, which is fascinating. Uh, writing for Forbes and the West Side Community News and for the Fever Front uh, at the next hoop. So lots of ways to uh, dive in and learn more about pro basketball here in Indiana. Tony, always love our conversations. Looking forward to more of them coming up here in the fall and winter. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, guys. That is Tony East right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. I've got, I'm telling you, man, I've got a level of like 
intrigue is a better word than excitement about this Pacers team, but I think it's going to be intrigue. I mean, oh, it, um, it, you know, I'm I'm legitimately very excited to watch the Pacers. Are you going to come to a game? Yeah. Do you think they'll invite us back for human bowling and the, and the knockout? <laughs> hey, I was the, better at the human bowling than I was the you knockout. You got a strike on the human bowling, and that was like right when we started, right? I mean, I think we'd been, we'd been doing the show for like a week at that point, right? That's why Kevin got QC Kinetics, because he's like, my shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Well, it was the neck, really. Um, but you sometimes you got to sacrifice. Now, was it sure Pacers or Colts where you guys did the St. Elmo deal? The Colts. That was Colts. That was Colts. Colts-Raiders game. Boy, you know, now looking back on it, Mark, did we start the downfall? No. We couldn't be blamed for that, could we? That was when Jake faked COVID. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was not fake, man. I'm telling you. Three weeks in of pairing with you. I'm out. See you yeah, later. I'm out. You guys. Allergies I'm like, man, acting up. Man, Pull the was, old veteran card. That was right crazy. Do the San Elmo shrimp eating contest. Uh, we noted it earlier, that second unit yesterday, TJ McConnell, Benedict Mather, and Terry Taylor, uh, in Rick Carlisle's words, they dominated the starters. Jake, this season – you know, you think about playing style and how those guys are wired. McConnell, Taylor, Matherin. Those are probably guys that would fall in the, um, you want them on your team and they're going to be a bit pesky on the other side of it. It's interesting when, when, they, the when you mentioned the second unit dominating and I thought, you know what? What did they tell us about Matherin? That this is a guy that. Wound tight. Wasn't that what Chad Buchanan yeah, said? Yeah, and he said like, you know, he'll follow you in the hallway after you guys, if, after you get done playing, right? So. I don't know. It'd be fun to watch. A lot of young guys. On the road to start the preseason. That is next Wednesday. And then the preseason opener uh, two Wednesdays over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. We'll talk a little IU football at the top of there. Maybe sneak in a basketball question with Dustin DePirac at Nebraska. An important one for bowl eligibility for the Hoosiers coming up on Saturday night. We'll go back in the Colts conversation next year. Maybe hand out, uh, should we hand out like a rookie, rookie of the week award maybe? Sounds good. You want to do that next? Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that here, 93.5-1075, the fan. So, see, I see what Mark is doing here. We're talking about rookies, so he's playing new kids on the block. Is that right? Man, look at it that. Out. Look at that chemistry right Hanging there. This is tough. The, this is the uh, soon-to-be wildly popular and surprisingly unsponsored Rookies of the Week segment that we're going to do, right? Correct. <laughs> For the Colts. Um, now, we only have a, a handful of rookies from which to yeah, pick. You could go I guess. rookie or newcomer, but let's focus on rookies okay. here. Okay, okay. And your winner, Jake, for last weekend for the Colts? The obvious answer here would be Jelani Woods, who caught two touchdown passes on his first two receptions as a pro player. We had him on the program yesterday. Maybe that was his award. Um, that's right. He gets two game balls, right? You got an up-close-and-personal view of Kevin's obsession with Tiger Woods. It was his reward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fandom. Mark, you seem hostile about I the know. Tiger Woods thing. No, I like putting that rejoinder together. That was fun for me. I thought for a guy that plays a position where people expect immediate results and where probably some patience is required to wait for those results. A guy that made a couple of nice plays for them and showed that, yes, in fact, do not write him off. He is here possibly for the long haul and showed the promise in terms of his flexibility that we anticipated. I will go with Alec Pierce. I like that. Bouncing back from the drop in week one, Jake. I think the the go ball you saw to him on that Kansas City sideline, there needs to be one or two of those every week because Pierce just has that ability. Um, I'm going to go Rodney Thomas II at safety. First NFL action on defense. 
He does it in the middle of the game when Julian Blackman leaves. He does it against Patrick Mahomes. And think about that. If he makes one mistake, 60,000 people know it. Notice it. You know, there's no covering up anything when you're that deep safety. And against that quarterback, to handle that, I thought he seeked out some plays. He looked like he belonged. And, and again, it's not like he prepared all week necessarily for it with practice reps and everything. Blackman gets hurt. Nick Cross, the Colts don't feel totally comfortable, I think, in that free safety role. Rodney Thomas was that. Uh, kudos to the Yale product for delivering on that front. We'll see if Indiana can deliver in Lincoln on Saturday night. Dustin Apirak from the Bloomington Herald Times joins us next. Honestly, it's probably never a good thing when you're facing a team that's led by an interim head coach and you're a five-and-a-half-point underdog. But I guess that's reality for Indiana this Saturday night at Nebraska. That is a night game from Lincoln. I believe I saw it was sold out, which pretty impressive for the Cornhusker fan base. Dustin DePierak covers IU Athletics for the Bloomington Herald Times. He joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Dustin, Jake and I were talking earlier. I feel like this is the game at 3-1, and one, and as you map out the rest of the Big Ten slate, this kind of falls in the really need to have it for the bowl game scenario. Like a loss on Saturday, and all of a sudden the margin for error is you got to get Maryland, you got to get Rutgers, and then you got to get Purdue or Michigan State. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, 100%. That's, they are in a big hole if they don't get this one. This is the one of the most winnable games left on the board. Uh, you know, they're obviously one and three uh, so far with their only win coming against North Dakota. Um, so, yeah, this is a team that you absolutely have to beat. And, and it's weird to say that because you are talking about going to Lincoln and beating somebody and that being a must win for Indiana. And that certainly was not supposed to be the case when Nebraska joined the Big Ten. That was, you know, in, this, this, you know in, Indiana should never be in, in the game. Um, but obviously that's sort of what happened in Nebraska. But, yeah, no, that's where they are. I mean, there's not a whole lot of very winnable games left on the board. I mean, I think there are a couple more that get more that are more winnable. Michigan State certainly is more, I think, uh, vulnerable than I think we expected. You know, Purdue is maybe worse than I thought they were week one. Um, but I, I think if you're Indiana, you don't want to go into November needing to win at all uh, to, to get a bowl game. So I think, yeah, Nebraska is an absolute must-have. Bigger dog, uh, Indiana against Nebraska or the one in the background? <laughs> She barks much, much bigger than she actually is. She's a tiny little beagle, and she just thinks she's Beagles are the best, tired. man. They Beagles are, are the best. Are. I was at a Cleveland she's Browns hilarious. game, and <laughs> all of a sudden the dog pound is... There's a squirrel somewhere in yeah. Johnson County, and the dog's going bonkers. <laughs> yes, she's got, she, she totally knows where it is, and of, she has thoughts about it. Of course. There's probably a cat across the street. That's really what, what's happening. She's not okay with with what the uh, neighbor's cats do at all, because they run around free, and she's not cool with that one bit. <laughs> hey, Dustin... I was talking to somebody yesterday, and I want you to jump in on this I, because this is probably way off base. But I was talking to somebody yesterday that's pretty dialed in with Indiana Athletics, and I made the reference to Tom Allen, who I know everybody likes. I mean, he's a great guy, and I think everybody wants to see him do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and this person said to me, you know, his leash may be shorter than people realize right now. Do you believe that? I could buy it. I mean – you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's a question of what, what do people realize it is. I, just, I can't see, I can't see the, the trigger being pulled after this year, just because I think it's if, if, if I'm doing the math right, it's a twenty-five million dollar buyout. Um, and twenty-five million. Yeah, I mean, I think he's because it was. I think it was a seven-year. 
extension. I, I mean, I'd have to Google this, but I was just, I mean, I have looked it up at some point this year. So I got to make sure I'm Googling this right. Remember, he's, you know, even, even with the pay cut, because remember, he took a $200,000 a year pay cut um, to basically for, for Nick Sheridan's buyout, uh, as far as I understand it. But basically, well, once he announced that he was getting rid of Nick Sheridan, he, he took a $200,000 buyout, or took a $2,000 pay cut, but he's still at $4.7 million a year. Um, and I think, I mean, I think it was like a seven-year extension. So, you know, like you're talking, you know, obviously they would have gone through two years of that um, at this point, but so you're still talking about like 25.3 left on, left on it, and I think it's 100% until maybe the last two years. Uh, that they would have to pay him. So, you know, I mean, I, I suppose I, there are obviously rich Indiana alums out there and they managed to find somebody to get give $10 million for Archie's. But two and a half times that for football, that is a lot. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm sure they're in better shape, you know, financially. You can you can sort, certainly look down the, uh, you know, road, certainly with the, the Big Ten media deal and, and everything that's coming and say, okay, well, there's going to be more money for stuff like that. And you can't be in a position for football to be a train wreck that whole time. Um, but, man, I mean, I, I would really, you know, I, I mean, I guess that just sort of thinks, okay, where, where is the leash now? Do I think? Uh, you, know, you can't keep, you know, losing. You can't keep stacking two and ten seasons get to get the whole of your seven-year deal. That's certainly not possible. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to, you know, be willing to stack five bad years or somewhere on that range. But, you know, I mean, I would have to think he gets at least another one, probably two. Um, just because the, the size of that, I mean, they, they trust him, they like him. Um, and you know, they're, they're, they might sort of demand, Hey, you know, uh, there are, there are maybe in particular one assistant that we think you really, really got to get rid of if you want to keep your job. Um, but I, I can't see throwing that much money at an Indiana football coach, not to coach. I just, it, I, I just can't see it happening. Um, especially if they go four and eight, five and seven, somewhere on that range where it's not atrocious by Indiana standards, what's basically what the Indiana standard is um, over the course of its history. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- there are certainly fans that are, that are more angry. You can definitely, you know, sort of sense that. And I think Scott Dolson just in general is going to have a, he's going to have a quicker trigger, I think, than Fred Glass would have. Uh, you know, I think Fred really labored over, like, you know, getting rid of Bill Lynch. Like, that was hard for him to do. Um, Scott, I think, and Fred has even said, you know, basically, like, I, there were times when I wanted this cup to pass over me, and Scott was like, nah, I think you got to make this move, man. Um, so I think Scott is going to be more more um, – be, be more willing to step to step back and say, all right, does it have to be done? Then it has to be done. Certainly that's what he did with Archie Miller. Um, so I don't, I don't think he'd be totally opposed to it with Tom at some point, but I'd just be surprised if, if, if they throw that kind of money at somebody to go away. Cause then you actually have, then you have to pay the next guy more. So you're talking, you're probably talking about $10 million just in head football coaches per year uh, while you're paying off that buyout. So, you know, that, that certainly is going to be a financial piece that they're going to have to, you know, be aware of. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the $25 million number, and then, you know, if IU wins one or two more games, they've hit their over on the expectation yeah, exactly. uh, coming mm-hmm. into this season. Uh, Dustin DePerak from the Bloomington Herald Times is with us. You, I think you hinted at it in your answer right there in pointing to an assistant coach. I assume you're referencing the offensive line. Um, now that, that would the, be, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now that the non, non-conference <laughs> slate is complete, Dustin, um, where would you maybe point to for the biggest positive exiting that and the biggest negative exiting the non-conference? Uh, well, I think the the biggest, you know, the, the, I guess the, the one thing they really do well is, oh, my God, sorry, Maxine, I'm going to go outside here. Um, 
I would say the one thing that they've really done well, at least, is you know convert passing plays on third down. And what I think that stands out to is that, I mean, Basil, I can at least fling it around a little bit. He certainly hasn't been perfect. I think he's only completing about 53% of his passes. So he certainly had some misfires. Uh, but you're seeing that connection between him and Cam Camper. And I think the fact that they've established kind of a go-to guy uh, that, that they can rely on when, when all else is going wrong, I think is, is pretty important. Um, and that stands out. Certainly he was a you know junior college kid that, you know, um, you know, nobody had heard of a couple of years ago. Basically, was barely recruited out of high school. Tried to walk on at Sam Houston State, um, and didn't even get an opportunity there. Went to junior college, grew like five inches or something like that. And you know, now he's a go-to wide receiver in the Big Ten. Um, and so, there's that. That is probably the best part of the passing game, and that's probably the best piece that they've got going. Um, and I think the linebackers are playing really well. Cam Jones and Aaron Casey have been terrific. But I've really, both sides of the ball have issues. Um, obviously, I think the offensive line is is quite shaky. Uh, they're going to have to ask themselves some questions this week and they might, I wouldn't be surprised if you see some people that you have not seen starting um, in there next week and in particular I would say Josh Sales and Khalil Benson will be the guys who have the best bet to be maybe new additions to the lineup after Parker Hanna had some issues and I think it's been kind of a flip back and forth at right guard between Weaver and Benson and I think Benson's been better I mean I, you know, I don't know everything about O-line play and I haven't watched every play but he seems to move the pile a lot more than Weaver does um, uh, you know and but you know certainly the running game has struggled because the O-line hasn't been great you know Bazelak has faced not an overwhelming amount of pressure, but plenty. Um, so that's been an issue. I, I think just in terms of surprising negatives, um, the secondary has not been great. I think they, they obviously were put on some islands against Cincinnati because Indiana was just really going to try to stop the run um, and, you know, put a lot of guys in one-on-one coverage, you know, without safety help. And that really did not, you know, go well in the Cincinnati game. And they really changed the game plan in the second half uh, to make sure that there was more safety help back there. And and considering you're, you're, you're looking at a secondary that's got three all Big Ten guys from 2020, you would have thought that would have been more of a strength. So I think that's the biggest concern uh, that you have. Obviously, again, everybody had a sense that the line wasn't going to be drastically better because they didn't really add much to it. But the secondary should be a thing that, that that should be probably the best part of this roster and, and it hasn't necessarily been so far when you look at Dustin you know Indiana having obviously the great year going to the bowl game against Ole Miss finishing ranked in the top 10 or 15 and you know it was a COVID year I realized it was kind of an odd year but from a recruiting standpoint you only get so long a window to kind of cash in on when you're cache did Indiana do that properly uh, I mean, to cash in, yes, but the problem, well, okay, well, let me answer it this way. You should have been able to extend that window. I think that's the major issue is that, that basically when you have a year like that for Indiana, you, you shouldn't just get, you, you should be able to parlay that into another good season, another good season, so that you have, you know, sort of continued momentum. So they did a pretty good job of putting together the 2022 class. I mean, they certainly maximized. Um, on, I mean, they got a lot of players last summer. I, I, and I think that was certainly really important. And they, they really carried that momentum. They were really putting themselves out there, um, you know, just not being shy at all about the fact they were going to be top 25 and the whole bit. And they got a lot of players to, you know, to commit. Um, and they managed to keep most of those guys in the 2022 class. I and mean, that, that's why that class is rated really high. Um, I, I've said this before elsewhere, but like, 
Tom Allen is a very hard guy to break a promise to, but it's a lot easier to just never make a promise to Tom Allen. Um, you know, basically, like if you're if, if you commit something to Tom Allen, like it, it rips your soul out to have to say no. I'm not going to do that um, because those guys, you know, and and so you saw that that class hung together even even after they went two and ten. A lot of those guys stayed. They lost the quarterback from Texas, Josh Hoover, which is I think a pretty big loss. Um, and there were a couple other pieces that they lost towards the, uh, um, you know, basically towards signing day. But I mean, they still get guys like Amar Cooper, and they picked up. Jalen Lucas late, you know, Travell Mullen, um, you know, James Mullen. They got a lot of highly recruited guys. Desan McCullough stuck around even though his dad left. Um, so they, they maximized on that offseason, basically, that, that in between 2020 and 21. They, they got probably as much as they could out of that. But it's like, you know, then I, I think, and they did okay, I think, even after the season, just sort of putting the last pieces of that class together. It's, 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 it's pretty talented 2022, but you're seeing um, – 2023 is harder and you know basically when you, when you carry that two and ten record all off season uh how hard it is is to get in people's you know basically get people to commit to you when they have other options um and so i mean i think they only got maybe what seven guys or something like that recruited now they were never going to have a big clash just because you know of, of they're just not losing that much um and there's only so many you know and they're going to keep some scholarships open for for transfers and that kind of deal but um you know the, nobody's really uh, basically nobody in this recruiting class in the 2023 class really you know makes headlines you know, we, we we haven't written about many of them um because we kind of set a high bar for that. And I think they've only got seven guys. They don't have any four stars yet. Um, so you can see the difference being made there. I mean, you're, you, you know, if you're Indiana, you need to stack classes. Um, you need to get, you know, a bunch in a row that are really good. And even if you're going to get a small one, it's got to pack a punch to it. Um, and so I think you're going to see that if, you know, if, if they go four and eight, five and seven this year, then 2024 is a harder class to recruit for. And then you're going to have a real hard time getting four star guys. You know, it's not that you need a ton of them if you're Indiana, but just need one or two in a class and have those three or start three stars be kind of on the higher end um, to start moving the needle for you. Um, but you could easily find yourself back in the position where the only teams you're beating are max schools, um, and that's really where they don't want to be because that's that's what's really put them in in uh, you know really buried them in, in years past. Last one for me and Dustin Dupirak from the Bloomington Herald Times is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Dustin, kind of I guess switching over to basketball. Um, I think Midnight Madness or whatever they call it now is coming up at some point here. And the next, who's your hysteria, Kevin? Come on, man, who's you weren't that school. What are you talking about? I know you should. You can see how out of touch I am. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the first game, I think, whatever, early November, it would be my guess mm-hmm. on that front. You've been all over the, I guess, spring story of Xavier Johnson and his arrest. Is the latest and maybe the final update on that? No suspension, status quo. Yep. Uh, he, he had to give up his car, though. Uh, no, I, I asked did him, see that. I asked Mike about that. On I asked Mike that it, it me days, and he said, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of past that. And that's one of those deals, basically, where the best time to get in trouble is right after your season ends, because then you've got all off season to get yourself in good graces. Um, and that obviously seems to be what he did, um, because you know Woodson basically raved about how good Johnson's been this off season, and said he's been really taking care of stuff on and off the field. And I, I, you know, I mean, when he it was it, it wasn't a joke. I mean, like he he kind of like laughed about it at the time, but apparently he approached. Uh, you know Xavier's parents and said uh, he's not going to have a car here 
this this season and so just to sort of take that piece out of it um so yeah that's it i mean i think i mean obviously i, I think that you could say without much of a question that if he would have done the same thing in february it's a couple game suspension but when you do it in april and you have between april and november to not play any basketball games uh that they're not you know coaches a lot less likely to hold it against you if you spend all that off season you know just doing things right and obviously it, it certainly helped that he was able to get the, the felony uh, charge dismissed um, and ends up with just a rec- you know with, with just a reckless driving and it's a class C misdemeanor and you know like a lot of people would just say well it's a glorified speeding ticket um, so you know that doesn't necessarily carry for the, the whole course of the offseason to the point you still want to suspend it but I think the car matters you know I mean I think that's something um, to say all right you know like you're going to spend this entire season walking around and taking the bus. That's your punishment uh, for doing this. It was dumb. You know, I mean, based on the police report, he's got a pretty sweet car that he has to give up for the season. So that's not nothing. He's got a 20. I think it said 2019 Dodge Charger. So like, that would suck to have to give that up. Yeah, the Bowen uh, household doesn't have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Neither, neither does the Dupirac household. But yeah, I mean, so, you know, I mean, he got, don't get me wrong, he got really good parents. So, so, I mean, I think that needs to be pointed out. They're both military, so they don't mess around. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that, that is the, the end, apparently, of the Xavier Johnson saga. That's where that ends. Um, and, but, you know, again, like I said, I mean, Mike Woods is really, really happy with, I guess, how he's performed, um, you know, just as a player and as a person this offseason. So I think there's something to be said for that, I guess. Uh, you know, I think Johnson, you know, I, I didn't, I talked to Johnson a little bit, but Zach really did more. And it basically, you know, like I said, hey, I really was concerned. I thought I might leave, lose. You know, basically, might just be done playing basketball after that. I wasn't sure how much trouble I was going to be in. I'm, you know, really blessed to get lucky and, you know, to be, to be able to keep playing. And he certainly is. So you got, you know, was fortunate there. I guess the, the um, you know, legal consequences are certainly not that overwhelming. Um, it's 50 hours community service, which if he just gets that done in a year, then he avoids a 60 day suspended sentence. Um, so he comes out of it in, in pretty decent shape, but obviously, at least. Uh, you would think is you know scared enough, and you would think losing the car at least you know gets him straightened out. But at least in this case, you don't have to worry about him uh, you know driving really fast anymore. So at least in Bloomington for this year, I'm happy if I have an iPhone charger. You know, that, 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 I'm just, just content with that. I'm just happy if the A bus was on time to pick me up from <laughs> sure. the villas. You know, I'm like, gosh, let's just make sure I get to Third Street on time. Dustin, <laughs> um, thank you for hopping on with us. What, the what's int- the doggy's name, Dustin? It's it's Maxine. Maxine, give Maxine a pat yeah. for us. We absolutely, I absolutely will. So she has calmed down now. Whatever the uh, disturbance was, she feels like she's now mitigated. You I know, guess. Beagles were the 2007 Westminster uh, Grand Prize winner. They've been very cocky ever since. So <laughs> you can look it up. Yeah. She probably knows that intrinsically. She's aware, and that's why she. <laughs> that's right. She runs around town like this, acting like she owns a giant. <laughs> Dustin, right. safe, safe travels to Lincoln, and thanks for coming on. Sounds good. I'm not going, but... No, well, you're there in yeah. spirit. Let's hope Indiana yeah, yeah, does. Nelson DePirac, <laughs> yeah. right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You know who won the Westminster Dog Show in 2007? Why don't you look that up and see what you think? We do educate and entertain here, Mark. your brain work? It may be 08. It may be 08, but I'm oh, confident that a Beagle won. In the foundation. I'm confident mm-hmm. a Beagle won. Uh, grand Prize, best in show. Best in show, number one overall, whatever. At the Westminster Kennel Dog Show. No, See, I'm looking up 2007 and 2008. 2007 okay. was an See, my English worry. Springer Spaniel. Okay. So that's incorrect. 2008. My worry about naming Max Max is Dustin's dog is Maxine. <laughs> Which Uno, one? Uno, a 15-inch beagle. <laughs> <laughs>
Trotting out for best in show. <laughs> come on. Come on. No! Yeah, come on. Uh, this is when the dog won the show <laughs> yeah. 10 years ago. 10? It's 15 at this point. I, I, there is not. There has to be somebody out there that's like, wait a minute. Did Query really just pull off the top of his head that, he, and I had two years I gave you, but that one of those two years, a Beagle won. I was off by a year. Sorry. That a Beagle won Westminster Best in show. And Come on. Do you think they follow that up with, God, this guy's got to get a life? <laughs> that Beagle really showed that Boston Terrier what was up. They're like, man, this guy that I listen to in the morning is incredible. How has this guy lasted a year? That's what they're saying to themselves, right? My God. I'm just telling you. The Westminster dog show route. <laughs> Speaking of dogs, not in the most complimentary manner, I was thinking about this after seeing the performance from the Washington Commanders on Sunday. Uh, Colts fans should make sure that they cheer for Carson Wentz to continue to be adequate this season. Remember, there is there's a pick on the line. There's there? a pick on the line. Trade stipulation of a second round pick if Carson Wentz were to play seventy percent of the snaps in Washington, and that would fall to a third rounder if he does not. So seventy percent would be a right around like twelve or thirteen games. Um, so you want to make? I mean, and Carson Wentz, to be fair, had. Nice first two weeks of the season. Not good in week three. But you don't want him to get benched or hurt. Correct. Colts fans, just keep an eye. Hey, man, don't forget, when the Colts traded Jeff George to Atlanta, it was conditional in terms of their compensation back. Atlanta had to make the playoffs in order for the Colts to get Atlanta's first-round pick in a subsequent later year final game of the regular season Atlanta gets a last second win Jeff George lifts them to a playoff win they go to the playoffs Colts get the first round pick you know who they took the Indianapolis Colts select wide receiver Syracuse Marvin Hmm. Harrison yeah you think that mattered for the franchise so yeah you want those things to work out remember you traded your third round pick this coming draft in 2023 that was in the nick cross trade last year so when you start to think about the future quarterback how this quarterback class looks in 2023 the quarterback needy teams that are likely going to be drafting ahead of you all of this stuff is pretty relevant so see which game which game your boy spiro's doing this weekend by the way i was surprised that's a pretty marquee game i think really what are they what are they having for Jaguars Eagles. I think that's one of the more intriguing games of week four. So I did see this note because a lot of people asked me, why did Romo and Nance do Colts Chiefs and not Dolphins Bills? Someone was saying that in the offseason, they map out the first four weeks of the year and they hand those to the broadcast crews. Yeah, because Nance and Romo are doing Packers Patriots this week and you would not have put them in that game if you're making that decision right now Mac Jones is gonna be out yeah you would not have sent them there so I think that's part of the reason why um you saw Romo and Nance doing that game not Bill's Dolphins and why Spiro all of a sudden gets a pretty good game well what's that line is it I want to say the Jaguars are like six and a half point underdogs I think they might have dropped a little bit I thought that's the last I checked was Jaguar or the the Eagles were six and a half point favorites. Let me check. Does it look quick. like Tua's going to give it a go tomorrow night? I think so. Man, that Dolphins defense, they played 90 plays yeah. on Sunday in the heat against Buffalo, Eagles, and now they're playing Thursday night. Eagles six and a half point favorites. 
Oh, you get a couple of Gatorades, you're good to go the next day. Bengals He's three and a half prime athletes, Kevin, against the Dolphins tomorrow night. Say that again, Mark. Bengals are three and a half point favorites against the Dolphins tomorrow night. Yeah, I think part of that is the old short week. Uh, someone asked me on Twitter, are you guys not on Facebook anymore? Are you all not airing on Facebook anymore? Did we ever air on Facebook? I have no idea. YouTube, that's the stream. YouTube, we're up. Twitter, we're up. I don't know about Facebook. You can head to 107.5 The Fan on Twitter, and you can find the stream right there. Facebook, I usually only go to for, like, memories these days. Excuse me? When, like, a memory pops up, like, I used memories from five years ago. Okay. Yeah, I cool. occasionally will look at a birthday on there, but I'm not a big Facebook human. <laughs> okay. Do your high school friends get into heavy debates on Facebook? No, I, I'm I'm with you. I You stay clear? Pretty much abstain, yeah. Yeah, it looks like our Facebook is You down. just glared at Scotty. Scotty has arrived wearing a Lloyd Mosby jersey. Is that a Beau Bichette jersey, Scotty? No. Scotty is decked out in full Blue Jays gear. Uh, we had a that's five- the old school, awesome Blue Jays oh, mid-80s. I love that. Absolutely love that look. A Exhibition five for fiver yesterday from Ryan on the pop quiz. We've never had two in one week. We'll see. Scotty, did you go with kind of the FU pop quiz? No, Excuse me? No? Okay. A little tamer. I feel like ever since Jake turned 50, you've been tamer with the pop quiz. I also have, by the way, um, coming up after the pop quiz, I have for you guys Australian treats. Oh, wow. Have I been looking forward to this all yeah. show? Vegemite, sandwich. No, no, no. I, I didn't. Now, I have Vegemite. But Michael couldn't make it in. He's got work to do. He's you know working hard on the on a Zoom yeah, or something in Australia. kangaroo. So they gave me Daniela which is Michael's significant other and Marcus's mother. These are the Australians I've been showing around all week. I'm like Judge Reinhold in Seinfeld. Um, I'm taking them to Chicago today, and they said, well, here, we have treats for you. And so they they brought me what I would say is a nice counterbalance to the Vegemite. Okay. And I, I'm telling you right now, when we do this on the air, both of you are – I am going to vault to the top of your Christmas gift list because you're going to say – and you're gonna, and then you're gonna ask me for this for the rest of the year. Do you have any more? Do you have any more? That's what you're gonna say. To me. Oh, you're not gonna be throwing bits of honey at me at 7:05 in the morning every day. You don't like it when I buy you the I, bit of I honey at the gas it, station on the way here. I guess just, I just won't do that one anymore. One comes rocketing at my head. I can't go, candy. <laughs> I'm like, geez. And, and warning, to be please. fair, I mean, those are like one ounce away from a brick being thrown at your yeah. head. <laughs> Sometimes I get them when they're fresh. Scotty, someone texted me, curious about your age. Do you care to share? Five eight for Scotty Johnston. Scotty, a youngish five eight, by the way. Uh, pop quiz coming up in about five minutes. Three one seven two three nine ten seventy on that front. Uh, let's do a morning checkdown here. The morning checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Aaron Judge still sits on 60 home runs for the season. He had a lot of intentional walks yesterday. The Blue Jays, in which Scotty is wearing their jersey today, intentionally getting Aaron Judge on base on more than one occasion, but the Yanks win 5-2 elsewhere yesterday in Major League Baseball, congratulations to the best fans in baseball. It is your knowledge of understanding when exactly a bunt is prudent that has allowed the St. Louis Cardinals to go to the postseason for the fourth straight year. They beat the Brewers 6-2. What was that? That was a fart sound for the Cardinals. <laughs> I thought it was Dan Orlovsky for yeah. a second there. Pirates over the Reds 4-1. Cubs over the Philadelphia Phillies yesterday 2-1. And the Indianapolis Indians losing to the Columbus Cooper 7 <laughs> 
We don't have a lot of great um, pennant races here to close out the year. NL East still up for grabs. That's really it. The wild cards aren't even filled with that much drama. Wasn't NL that the thought the, process and like expanding the playoffs? More teams would be in it late. NL East would be the Braves who defeated Washington eight two and the Mar and the uh, Mets over who lost to the Marlins six four. Those are the two in play, right? Yeah, right? That, that's uh, all the other divisions are clinched. You know, the Mets have that fun theme song. That's why I like them. Meet the Mets. Meet. Oh, I thought the you were Mets. talking about the um, intro music for the bullpen. The guy out of the. They bullpen. do have that too, but the Meet the Mets song's fun. Okay. <laughs> A lot of maturity there for Mark. Uh, the Pacers, their first training camp practice. It's after nine, isn't it? Yesterday. Here was Rick Carlisle afterwards on a very new-look bunch. Kevin and Chad did a great job of of making the right deals, turning the roster over. I'm talking about putting me us there. in a position to build around a great young point guard. A few months later, you know, we've got a lot of athletes, and we've got a lot of guys that could do a lot of different things. So it can be a big learning process early. Um, and really all the way through, but um, it's going to be a much different looking team. Your guy put on some weight. Jake, I know you're over there at Pacers practice. Did uh, Isaiah Jackson look a little thicker to you? You know what? I didn't get a good look at him. Um, I mean, I watched him from the opposite court at the very end of practice during the media avail, and I couldn't really tell on him. Now, Terry Taylor came over, and man, I'll tell you what, he is not a, a huge guy, but he is a nonstop energy guy. Terry Taylor. What, what what are we doing here, Mark? I didn't do anything to it. I've just been sitting here. No, that was you looking that up just to confirm what I already knew. Why would I look it up? I knew that the 2008 winner was a beagle. Why would I have How to look that up? How are you supposed to swoosh when Mark's out of his chair? <laughs> Whoosh. There. No, we don't. <laughs> Colts, their first practice of the week is today. Um, Injury-wise, again, Shaquille Leonard, that watch continues. He's practiced for, what is it now? 11 straight days, so I don't think it's necessarily is he going to practice. It's more of is he going to play on Sunday. Julian Blackman would be the one. He exited uh, with an ankle injury. Uh, but when you talk about Tennessee, it's run first, and I would say both sides of the ball. Some stats that favor the Colts for this weekend. Derrick Henry's like in the 20s in yards per carry this year, and Tennessee is the worst rushing defense in the NFL. The worst rushing defense? The worst rushing defense in the NFL. That's good news for the Colts. They got a pretty good back. Titans are wounded, very wounded. Interior of their D-line, though, from a pass rush standpoint, Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons, that'll be something to keep an eye on with the Colts' recent struggles in pass protection. Uh, Pop quiz up next. 239-1070 is the telephone number. What do we have on the line, Mark, in terms of what's at stake? oil change. A Jiffy Jiffy Lube Lube oil oil change. change. Okay. Uh, So we will get you the Jiffy Lube oil change if you were to go five for five. Pop quiz is next. Scotty Johnson's here. With his all Blue Jays gear on, is that a sign of what might be in the pop quiz? We'll find out, and we'll do it next. 239-1070. Kevin and Query, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the pop quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Very doable. Very, very doable. Is it all baseball? No. Really doable. I thought I saw a good amount of baseball on there. This is very doable. Uh, It's time for the pop quiz with a Jiffy Lube oil change on the line. You know the rules. You simply answer all five questions correctly, and there you go. 
You get the oil change from Jiffy Lube, who, by the way, is committed, dedicated to helping out those around Indiana who use their vehicles to help out others. That's why you can nominate a Hoosier hero at jiffylube.com slash Indiana or jiffylubeindiana.com. Um, nominate somebody who uses their vehicle to help out Meals on Wheels, for example, a great example of exactly that. And if they are selected, they will receive automobile maintenance for a year from Jiffy Lube of Indiana. I love that. Great organization. Uh, Mark, we have callers lined up? Yes, we do. Kevin, you picking the number today? Sure. Number one through eight. Uh, this is what, week four of the NFL? Let's go with number four. Jason. Jason, what's Yo. up? Yo. Jason, have you called the program before? I have not. You've not. Okay. Can we play? We have a little game we do sometimes called Get to Know Your Listener. It's wildly popular. We have a lot of great success with it. Can we get, or are you willing to participate? Yes, sir. Uh, Jason, how old a fellow are you? I'm 42. 42-year-old Jason. Okay. And uh, Jason, if my math corrects is correct, that would mean that you graduated from high school somewhere around 99 or 2000. Is that right? Yeah, 99. Okay. And that would be from what school? That would be Ben Davis High School, the Giants. Okay. Well, we'll speak slowly. You know Brad Bowen? <laughs> Who's that? You know Brad Bowen? Where'd you go to junior high? Fulton. Fulton. My dad taught PE and health there. Okay, yeah. Ring Did, a bell or no? Mr. Bowen, yes yeah. or no? Yeah. Yes, sir. Was he a disciplinarian type? I don't believe so. <laughs> yeah, he's got a loud whistle. That, that was, I think, kind of his go-to thing. Really? He can do okay. the... Uh, like the fingers yeah, yeah, in the yeah. mouth whistle. Okay. I can never do that. I know. I struggle with it. Uh, uh, lastly, Jason, what line of work are you in uh, today here in 2022? Uh, I do utility work for Citizens Energy Group. Oh, that's cool. Okay. What line of work were you in in 2007? <laughs> he was watching Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> when the West was just a weird. What line of work are you in in 2022? Well, what line of work? Are you in well, I just meant today in today's world. Mark, work with me here, would you? Jason, right. we've never had two five for fives in a week. You, uh, if I'm you... not a huge baseball guy, so this might be a little bit of a challenge. Ooh. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Here we go. Well, just the first couple might be a little rough. Would you like for me? That would be Jake or Kevin to lead you off. Uh, let's go with Kevin. Okay. All right, Ben Davis, giant pride right here on the line. Number one with the New York Yankees and the St. Louis Cardinals wrapping up division titles last night. Only one division championship remains up for grabs. We mentioned this in the last segment. Which division has not been decided? I'll give you a hint. It's not in the American League, and it's not West. Not American not West. Let's go. I don't know. Well, it's either the central or the east. Yeah, let's go with uh, central. Can, 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 you name, can you name the league? God, maybe my dad didn't teach very well. <laughs> American. It, it's not American. Can you name the league? It's not in the American League. National League. Okay. What the hell? <laughs> All right. Question number two, Jason. The Yankees clinched the AL East for the 20th time in franchise history. Since the divisional era began in 1969, only one franchise, which there's no way in hell after question number one you're going to know, has won its division <laughs> more times. Name the franchise that began in Milwaukee and Dale Murphy played there and Hank Aaron played there and they're on TBS an awful lot and David Justice played there and Let's Chipper Jones the played there. What's that? 
Let's go with the Braves. Okay, Braves. Boy, talk about a 180 in confidence there from one to two. <laughs> Number three, Jason, the Dolphins will try to improve to 4-0 for the first time since 95 when they face the Bengals in Cincinnati on Thursday night. Football, who did the Dolphins beat to improve to 4-0 in 1995? Cincinnati, the Colts, the Patriots, or the Jets? Uh, let's go with uh, Cincinnati. Question four. Today marks the anniversary of the NFL record for most passing yards in a game. The quarterback who holds the record for most passing yards in a game at 554 is A, Matt Schaub, B, Norm Van Brocklin, C, Warren Moon, or D, Joe Burrow? Uh, Let's go with Joe Burrow. Okay. Okay. Close things out here, Jason. On this day in 1919, the fastest game in Major League history took place with the Giants beating the Phillies 6-1. Within 10 minutes, how long did the game take? Just the fastest game in history? Yeah, fastest game. Mm-hmm. Let's go with one hour, 20 minutes. Not bad. Mm. Not right, but not bad. <laughs> I'm just saying. So one hour, 20 minutes, that is what, 80 minutes? Uh, going to that game and like, I need to get some nachos. Like, what do you mean? It's the eighth inning already. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Beer sales are gone after, you know, 20 minutes there. Okay, the National League East between the Braves and Mets is the division still in play. Speaking of the Braves, they were the franchise that was the answer for number two, the only franchise to have won the division more times in the last 20 years than, um, or since 1969 than, the Yankees. Bengals was correct for question number three, and then Norm Van Brocklin and 51 minutes to round things out. Uh, I've got Australian snacks for you guys that you're going to love. You're going to love. You don't seem confident. You don't seem happy. Uh, I'm not confident in my love. Your last Australian surprise was... Mm -hmm. Right. Was one to forget. Well, would you like to, Scotty? Would you like to wager on whether or not the boys like what I brought from down under, or well, rather, what phrase that better? What Michael and Daniela and Marcus God brought? Almighty. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think I have a doctor's appointment actually here at 10 a.m. So you guys might need to handle this final segment by yourselves. Uh, we'll do it one final time here. Kevin Aquari, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Colin Hay, who is the lead singer of Men at Work native not native of he moved to melbourne from scotland when he was a boy but grew up in melbourne australia and those of you who listen to this program know that over the last few days i've been touring around my australian friends who have become uh almost like family to me michael marcus and daniela who are natives of melbourne i met them at a pacer game several years ago michael and marcus are diehard 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 pacer fans um they came back to the u.s Actually, back to North America, they're going to a wedding in Toronto later in the week. So they came through Indianapolis first because they have a connection to the city based on the Pacers. So last night, we went to my mom and dad's house to have some orange fluff cake from Taylor Bakery. And Daniela was nice enough to bring me uh, snacks from Australia. These are, I don't know how you would, what is a, a, what is a snack or candy that is, a U.S. custom that like everyone loves. Reese's, yeah, Reese's. Okay. Peanut butter cups. So these are similar, I guess you'd say. Uh, you guys That's did high not praise. Like, I brought you Vegemite, and you did not like Vegemite, correct? I thought it was horrible. 
Yeah, it had a... My palate they, rejected it. They did bring me Vegemite, too. Do you guys want some? And, and let me be clear, Jake. In no way, shape, or form do I want this to sound offensive to your friends. I think it's awesome that they're here. Frankly, I think it's really cool. It's a little side note. I think it's really cool. Like, There's two or three Pacers broadcasts a year where I'm like, JJ's interviewing a fan from Taiwan yeah, or totally, a fan yeah, yeah. from you know, South crazy, Africa. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Yeah. These diehard Pacers fans exist all over the world. So... These are Tim Tams. Anybody who has been to Australia or knows of their food knows about Tim Tams. Now, they taste kind of, well, I don't know how else to describe it. They are listed in Australia as chocolate biscuits. But what you're supposed to do is bite off each end and then use them in milk and use them like a straw, kind of like the fella did with the hot dog at the Yankee game yeah. with beer. Now we don't. Well, have, I wish I forgot that. Moment. We don't have milk here, so you're not going to be able to do that. But here you go. Mark, there's your oh. Tim Tam. Kevin, there's your Tim Tam. Look at this. Uh, see what you think. These are, there's a, there's a Nabisco okay, cookie that they taste kind of Save this and hand it out on Halloween, or should I be? Selfish? No, no, you don't want to do that, okay. Scotty. I can bring you one tomorrow if you'd like. I, I brought a whole bag of them. Uh, we'll, we'll see what you showing think. Showing the here. YouTube camera audience okay. just the look of it. So you're supposed to bite into the end of it and use it as a straw. Well, if you had milk here, you you. Because it's kind of hollow in the middle. Okay. That's what you're supposed to do is bite each in, and then it becomes a straw, and you you take the milk through it. But obviously, you don't have the milk here. (laughs) I'll (laughs) tell you what. Kevin has had his first bite. I'll tell you what, Of the Tim Tam. I don't know if I agree with you on a lot of things, but I'm nodding my head at this one. (laughs) These are solid. Mark, your thoughts? Yep. Yep. 10 out of 10. How would would you describe the Tim Tam? A little wafer-like on the inside. Uh Uh-huh. Um... The chocolate is tremendous. 10 out of 10. Mark's just handing out grades. Uh, I'd give it a solid 9.6. If a Reese's is 9.8, I'm putting a 9.6 on it. Well, 10 out of 10, I'm, I'm using the metric system. No. <laughs> Excuse me. You you and Jake just so fluent in your math these days. So you approve, Mark? Yeah. Now, yeah. anywhere in the States or no? I think you can now, but for a long time, you could not buy them at all in the States, Tim Tams. I think you, I mean, these days between Amazon and everything else, you can buy anything anywhere, right? Um, I don't know that they're the pure, like, Australian, you know, a lot of those places, they use, like, a pure cane sugar, you know, whatever it might be. So, I don't know if it's 100%. These are obviously authentically Australian because they, Daniela brought them straight over. Daniela, thank you. Yes, so there you go. Thank you very much. Jake, thank you. That mm-hmm. was terrific. <laughs> They're pretty good, aren't they? Can I have they? that for breakfast every day? <laughs> they are pretty good, man. Now, I here, I did bring you. I, did, I didn't want you to feel. Wait, you there's can, more? Well, yeah. You, oh, yeah. You can take these home to the kids. Oh, Scotty, would you like a, I have gifts Jake, here. I don't know if Max is going to be consuming Vegemite anytime soon. Huh? Is that what you're bringing out? No, of course not. Give me more credit than that. Um, what do you have uh, on schedule for the rest of the day, Kev? Head up to Colts practice after this first practice of the week. Wednesday is kind of my busy day. Back here to record a podcast a little bit later. Fair enough. You got anything? I uh, got uh, tutoring tomorrow. I am driving the Australians to Chicago today. We are going to see Michael Jackson's home, childhood home. They want to see that on the oh, way. No. There you go. What do we got here? Vegemite. <laughs> I mean, just look at the color of it on the back. You know what it kind of looks like is black tar heroin. I mean, just horrific. Um, <laughs> getting the veins ready. I, I don't. I do not want that. What, excuse me. 
Now, what does this taste with like a Tim Tam? Does the Tim Tam should excellent. I ruin my experience? excellent question? Go ahead and try. I'll I'll be the show monkey. Sure. <laughs> is there a um... I'll be the show monkey? Says Mark has the Vegemite and is oh god, I'm getting PTSD just smelling this thing. <laughs> Mark, Mark is going to try Don't the Vegemite. It. It's wonderful. Let's it's try. a popular delicacy, a Vegemite sandwich. Okay. Let's so this is again now. a yeast extract spread, I believe is what they call it. Marcus put oh, Vegemite on the tip. That was a horrible mistake. Mark, it's a horrible mistake. <laughs> I'd like to say that I told you so. <laughs> Mark he just guzzles water. Did you put the Vegemite on the Tim Tam? Yeah, the what? Tim Tam lost in that that respect. Now speaking of overseas, we've got the first London game this weekend. Yes. Saints and who, Scotty? <laughs> Doesn't stop. Mark just turned around towards the trash can. <laughs> um, I don't now, want to be rude with your gifts, but that's going straight in the garbage. Is this the 37th straight game that we've had in London where neither team's above 500? This is Saints and Vikings, you said? Vikings and Saints, yeah. There is some discussion, is there not? Correct me if I'm wrong here. Kirk Cousins and Jameis Winston. Nothing says let's honor the queen like sending those two over. Am I correct in saying that there has been discussion that because New Orleans and Minnesota have have vacated, you know, have left to go to London, that if need be, if Tampa needs to be rescheduled, they could, or, or Tampa needs to be moved, the Bucks game could be moved to New Orleans or Minneapolis. Correct? Oh, that would make some sense. I thought I heard that. Yeah. I mean, obviously there would be teams all over the place that are on the road, but I mean. Yeah, and as we said earlier, um, the Bucks are training down at the Dolphins facility. It's very unique that, you know, you have this Hurricane Ian and it's heading towards that St. Pete, Tampa area and kind of on that diagonal, northeast diagonal through the state of Florida and the southern part, Miami, the Keys down there. They seem to be in the clear, and I say that in quotes. So uh, with the Dolphins playing on Thursday Night Football this week, their facility is open and Looks like Tampa Bay is down there for that. You know, the the whole thing is fascinating with the hurricane. I mean, so many people in this area have obviously friends and family in throughout Florida. You know, um, I know everybody is is concerned. My cousin lives in, you know, St. Pete. And my family's in St. Pete or Tampa. She actually lives in Tampa, but is from St. Pete. So, you know, there are... But it looks like now it might be going down just to the south of that, right? In terms of the the main epicenter landfall. I, I was seeing like a split of kind of Fort Myers and St. Pete, like in between those two. Yeah. Obviously could be wrong on that, but that was the latest um, projection I, sh- I saw. Um, Mark, David's been hanging on. Want to talk a little Miles Turner? Yeah. David, you hear a Miles Turner talk earlier? Yes, hi guys. Good morning to you. I was just confused about. I was reading on Bob Cotton's article on Athletic last night saying Miles is a numbered, and I remember listening in when you guys were talking with Chad Buchanan, and he said we're keeping it in the year, and he decided to finally have the the five spot. Is this just another another rumor, or? Should uh, we pay more attention to Bob Travis' article? Okay, good question, David. And I like he was down under. That's right. He he was underneath Vegemite himself. Um, David, listen, I love Bob, and I got a ton of respect for Bob, and I don't have any doubt about the fact that Bob Kravitz is as tight in as anybody. Um, 
Is Miles Turner ultimately somebody that the Pacers could shop? Yes, I think that is probably very possible. Is it somebody that they are going to shop imminently in the next week or so? I don't personally believe that's the case. I could be totally wrong. I could be totally wrong. But I think they are right now content with and proceeding as if they're not going to make a trade. Now, you know, what I was told was, hey, listen, we always reserve the right to to change our mind, basically. But that right now – things appear as though that's where they're going in terms of keeping status quo. Guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the wording I said at Chad Buchanan last Wednesday, the Pacers golf outing was, do you expect Miles Turner to be your center on opening night? And he answered yes. Well, I mean, you don't typically see trades a week or two before the start of the season. Um, I think the bigger question, and Bob alluded to this throughout that article, is this relationship he does not believe will last past this season. And I think it's really key to point out relationship two-way street. This is not necessarily the Pacers saying we want no part of Miles Turner moving forward. It's Miles Turner, I think, realizing that at the age of 26 years old, this is the last time to truly cash in. He's never been an unrestricted free agent. So if indeed he is still a Pacer at the end of this year, I would think given of everything that's happened, he probably would explore some options. It really is fascinating, though, Kevin, because if, you, if you're if you trying to – the catch-22 for Indiana is this. If you're trying to use Miles Turner to flip him into, uh, you know, a future pick or another young player, then you've got to – even though I think people know at this point what Miles Turner can do, but because he's coming off injury, you want to be able to showcase – that they are still getting a viable product. Right. But the longer that you try to showcase them, the more you're holding back the guys you have currently on your roster. I, You know, so it is a, a tricky area. But he's also only 26. And he's never played a Tyrese Halliburton. Is there any intrigue Correct. there of what he could look like? He's never been the solo big. Again, it's fascinating as the exact way to describe this situation. And to a lesser extent, Jake, you can make the same sort of cases for, you know, Buddy Heald with Benedict Matherin or Chris Duarte. You know, Daniel Tice with Isaiah Jackson. We, we talked about it yesterday. T.J. McConnell with Andrew Nemhart. All these high-paid pacers that are getting up there in age, and the other guys that I mentioned are older than Turner. If you play them, you're also stunting some young growth. And who are the pieces that you want here in 2023, 2024, and beyond? Right. They um, Be an interesting juggle to watch Rick Carlisle all year long. Uh, again... Yesterday was a short practice for the Pacers. We'll see, you know, what what they decide to do in terms of how they're going out there. But Tiny Tim Tam was outstanding. The Vegemite. Do you want it back? You, oh, sure. I'll give it to Mark. Mark oh, Vegemite. I think there's a reason why Mark hasn't spoken since he first <laughs> consumed the Vegemite. Scraping my palate as we speak. Colts' first practice of the week is today. We will chat about that tomorrow, and uh, we'll get a little look at Purdue. It's a big one for Purdue at Minnesota. They are a 10-point underdog. The Aiden O'Connell injury, not ideal. We'll chat about that tomorrow. Everybody have a great day. We'll see you.